0: At the end of my intro, I'm going to say a little bit about how I got started with insert credit. Uh, then Brandon will do that. Then Frank will do that. And then you'll do that. And then we'll talk a little bit more before heading into our first official topic. Obviously, how you got started is you helped start the darn thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In case you forgot. It's been 20 years. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Wait, uh, Vince. Vince, yeah? good God.
1: I miss you. It's good to hear you. It's um... have to get that out of the way thank you
2: it honestly it's really great to hear you guys too obviously i've been listening for a few months now really well that's not obvious to me i didn't know that well a few months uh, honestly it's been a few years i've been i've been keeping up with the podcast honestly nice. uh thank i'm you. not i haven't been contributing to the forum which kind of sucks i feel like i don't I... have as much to connect it is frank <laughs>
0: on April 8th, 2021... This is the star-studded 20th anniversary special of the Insert Credit show. Once upon a time, InsertCredit.com was just a minimalist blog where the weirdest people on the internet wrote about video games that nobody cared about. And look at us now! <laughs> I'm Alex Jaffe, and I was brought on to Insert Credit to moderate the questions on its podcast incarnation in 2012 by Tim Rogers, and then almost immediately overstepped my boundaries by retitling myself as the host. <laughs>
1: I'm Frank Cifaldi, and um, I don't entirely remember my introduction to Insert Credit. So I believe it's that I was writing stuff on the internet, mostly on uh, a website called Lost Levels that I started. And um, I think it was Brandon who poked me because I lived in Vegas asking if I wanted to write about CES. Does that sound right to you, Brandon?
3: I think that's pretty close. Here's here's my recollection. Our mutual friend, Ian Adams, was saying you should have Frank on your website because he has a website. He showed me the red eye, which was your website at the time. And I said no. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm very selective. About who i will let on on the well, website
1: well and i know that i know that you were at classic gaming expo 2003 when um i had a booth for lost levels yes. um but i don't think we we might have like met briefly but i don't remember
3: we met very briefly you were wearing a pirate hat and a cape and yeah. <laughs> um and really jumping around a lot uh, as i remember <laughs> which is pretty uncharacteristic of you for most of the rest of the time i've known you and then <laughs> um that was when i was like oh maybe i should put him on the website and then i contacted you because i knew you were in las vegas to report on ces and then the next big one was the uh, acclaim article uh the death of which was. oh i don't even
1: i don't even remember that we published that on answer credit
3: wow yeah we did that was where it was published
1: oh no i i sold it to edge and tips and tricks <laughs> oh. I didn't I didn't know that there was a third place but uh, maybe <laughs> yeah. you published wow I think you eventually published like the director's cut. Um, yeah, before oh, that's it was right. chopped that's down right.
0: for Edge. I think that's what it was. Okay. I think that's uh, Brandon, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners?
3: Yes. Okay. Sorry, I got carried away. Uh, I'm Brandon Sheffield, and my introduction to InstaCredit was starting it with Vincent Diamante, who's going to talk after me. I'll just give a little bit of our, uh, of our origin story. Um, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'll try to make it brief. There was a really Christian guy who um, anyone who's been to college probably is familiar with this person. There was a really Christian guy who just wanted to introduce everybody to each other and in so be doing some sort of ministry something. I don't really understand it exactly, but um, he saw that Vince and I both had Dreamcast before the Dreamcast was out in the United States. And he he was like, you two should be friends! Uh, we were on different floors of the dorm, which was like a, a no-cross zone. But uh, Vince and I wound up sharing games, and we both had Saturns, and it was just like, well, I guess we're friends now. And then we had a, some, some difficulties over a game of Puyo Puyo. Um, ultimately, we reconciled, and we both got kind of let go of much, much worse websites about the same time, and we wanted to go to E3, and so we decided to start a website. And I'm pretty sure Vince came up with the name Insert Credit as well. But Vince, I'll let you talk next, because it's sort of the same origin story.
0: Right. Well, joining us uh, as our first guest on this celebration of Insert Credit's 20-year history is an obvious one. Please welcome to the show for the first time, Insert Credit co-founder Vincent Diamante. Hi, I'm
2: Vincent Diamante, and I was introduced to Insert Credit by virtue of. Of, I guess, thinking of the name, Credit and figured that we'd start a website together. You
3: also did all the HTML. You, you built it.
2: Yeah. The way that I like to remember it, and I think this is more or less accurate, is that I was better at dealing with that backend stuff than I was at writing some of the articles that were on Credit over the years. I was definitely more involved with some of that creative stuff over the first few years of the website, but, um, eh. I, I think I have some pretty neat opinions about video games in general, but I certainly wasn't as good at putting those down uh, the way that you guys were. And uh, oh well, uh, Instacredit's still really cool. I still have very fond memories of those times. Well, what have you been up to since then? I, I guess since Instacredit, I always knew that I wanted to get into game development, uh, primarily as an audio person. So I've been doing music composition and sound design for a while now. I, I think I've spent about 10 years total working with that game company on a couple of games. Worked on this game called Skullgirls.
0: Ooh. You know some people on that.
2: Yeah. And then a bunch of freelance work on little things since then or in the intervening time. So, yeah, just trying to make it as a game developer, uh, mostly as a music composer, sound designer, uh, but sometimes doing some other things too. I'd like to do a little bit more game design work in my free time.
0: Haven't had that much free time lately, but. Hopefully soon. Well, I'm glad you can make some time for us on this special occasion. Uh, The way this show works is that I introduce a topic. We have a set amount of time to discuss it. This time we're going for five minutes per topic. When we hit that hard time limit, I will punish you by sounding off a horrible buzzer if we go over time. Otherwise, we'll move on. And after five questions, we'll uh, proceed to the next quadrant of this very special episode. Are we ready to start? Oh yeah. Uh, we are let's do it.
3: Oh, and by the way, Vince, Vince has been on the show at least once before. I'm pretty really? sure. Really? Right, right okay. No, I don't think I have. What?
0: Is it's that true? true. This
3: is this is the yeah. first time. Brandon, I, I just I, I, I logged every it.
0: episode of the show a few months ago and Vincent never came up.
3: There's a lost episode. Maybe he's on
0: that one. Maybe he's on that one.
3: I'm gonna have to go to the tapes on this. Okay, never mind. Sorry, let's go.
0: <laughs> okay. In September of two thousand and two, insert credit was very excited about game parks gp32 what do you remember about this piece of south korean hardware and how does obscure hardware fit into the insert credit taste
3: god i talked about that too much i talked about that thing <laughs> much too much is 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 the uh short answer um we got excited about it because it was a new game console coming out of South Korea. And basically anything that was like, well, this is a little different, um, became very exciting. But I got way too into it. Vince and I went out to a store called Wanpaku. I was like, how much would it cost to get one of these? And they're like, we'll find out for you. And then what they wound up doing was just ordering it and being like, that will be $600, please. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and I was like, I can't, I can't afford that. I don't have that kind of money because I sure didn't. And then it got into to be this whole big, terrible thing. But yeah, that was... Uh, I have two now. And recently at a game store out here in in San Jose, California, they were selling like uh, six or seven GP32 games for 20 bucks each. I bought all of them. It's wild. But yeah, back then I was like in direct contact with Game Park and I had this weird realization. They were sending me like early versions of, of the games and they were sending me manuals in English with them. And I just realized, I was telling this to Frank a little while ago, that when I was going through these manuals and going through my old stuff, they're just like pieces of paper glued together. I think they made these English manuals just for me, just to send to me only. They, they wow. weren't official. It was bizarre. I had an early version of this game, Tomac Save the Earth, uh, which is uh, or Tomac the Shooting, which is the shooting version of Tomac. I previewed it on Insert Credit because they gave me a early code, and then they fixed everything that I complained about when it came out. And it, at first, I like I said, maybe they did something that I said, but 100% they must have because like who else was looking at it?
2: The GP32 was really cool. But I think for me, it was sort of riding the wave of this interest in Korean gaming. Yeah. Uh, because it was just such an interesting history there looking at the developers. Right at that time, I, I suddenly found myself exposed to Developers like Sonori and Gravity and uh, Wizardsoft and finding these really cool games like Arcturus, which is this cool RPG. Astonishia Story, The uh, White Day, was a really yeah. interesting first-person shooter that came out, I think, in 2001.
3: Well, first-person Survivor.
2: First-person Survivor, yes. But yeah, there was a lot of really interesting stuff happening in Korea, and it wasn't just the new stuff. It was really cool to look at these older games uh, from the late 90s, like uh, Quorum 3, which was just sort of like a rather mediocre Zelda-like game, but it was competently made, and it was new and different. And it was really cool to get into that. And the GP32 rode on that wave for me. And of course, you know, some of these games got GP32 ports, like Astonishia Story R. So Korean gaming was really interesting back then. And it's always really fun to talk to people about, hey, check out these Korean games that are not MMOs that are really cool. You should check them out.
3: Yeah, the old package game history. It was pretty wild when I went to Korea for the first time. I decided to go do like this big developer tour. I was going to meet a whole bunch of developers. And, you know, I met a lot of developers that had been working in offline games that had moved into online stuff. And they all knew Gamasutra, which is where I was working at the time. But they, universally, they were like, how did you find out about us? How did you come to ask us questions? And especially when I started being, asking questions about their history and games they had made 10 years ago, they're like, how did you know about that? I was like, well, uh, I was just studying up on the gb32 (laughs) and uh and i found out about you all and they're like i have that's weird (laughs) um but it worked out i wound up interviewing like 10 korean game developers in like 2006 before anybody was really talking about the region still and um there's a lot of wikipedia articles that link to stuff from that time because just nobody was talking to them
0: in english there it is there we go that that seemed like a lot longer than five minutes that's how it do sometimes in april of 2003 brandon reported on the appending release of r-type final which he was sure wouldn't really be the last r-type as it turns out he was right the next game in the series r-type final two is finally coming out this month what are the best video game comeback stories (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say Punch-Out on the Wii. I think Punch-Out on the
1: Wii is a fantastic game that uh, people don't talk about very much anymore for some reason. But like that was the true Punch-Out sequel that took forever. But I don't know if it's a comeback story because they haven't done anything with the franchise since then. So maybe it's not a
3: good comeback. I think it's pretty okay. I think Nier is is sort of a good comeback story because mm. it wasn't that popular on the Xbox 360 as far as like raw sales numbers. But it gained a cult status to where Automata came out and where they were able to get that approved and funded and put it out. And then that did well, which means that now the original is, is getting revisited. So I think that's kind of a comeback story of a sort. Um, oh, actually, I wonder if Deadly Premonition is, well, maybe that doesn't count. It's, <laughs> it, it came back from getting canceled several seven times. Right. Um, that's a different
2: story. In my mind, I think it's there is a clear winner, and that would be Puyo Puyo. Uh, yeah i mean puyo puyo had some success in america in the form of what uh mean bean machine and and kirby but uh it's really picked up uh, a whole lot in the american scene uh puyo puyo tetris and puyo Puyo tetris 2 are actually pretty serious games and the publisher now sega has actually put some budget to it It, i would If you asked me 10, 15 years ago, would we ever see a Puyo game that was translated with English voice acting on it? I would say there's no chance, but that's exactly what we got with these last two versions of Puyo Puyo Tetris 2. And yeah, I guess you could say it is sort of riding on the coattails of Tetris to a certain extent, but Puyo Puyo, I I think that's definitely a comeback there. Yeah,
3: Mm. I mean, I think there were those Fever games, which did actually come out here and have English voice acting, but they were like super extremely niche. Yeah. But now it's actually really like people play this game. Um, Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think that's Uh, a good one.
2: Yeah, I think also the fact that it's on Switch, too. um, That's certainly helped. I don't know if it's a comeback, but what about
1: Fortnite? I mean, didn't it launch without the mode that people actually play? And wasn't it not doing so well until they kind of copied the Battle Royale thing? Yeah, I think they kind of pivoted late in development. Okay, so it wasn't post-release. Right.
2: I think it actually was post-release, but yeah, I think you was know, like, the marketing didn't really uh, reflect.
3: I think it was like in an early access kind of a deal. And then they pivoted something like that. Or not early access, like a open beta. I think uh, it's clear that none of us know the exact answer to <laughs> Oops. Um, I was going to say that White Day had a comeback. I don't know that it was fantastic. But since we mentioned White Day, like, I don't know, 18 years after it came out, it got a remake on PS4.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. Incredibly surprising.
3: Yeah, it was a big surprise. That's for sure. I don't know that it's the very best comeback, but it is one. And Donish's uh, story came out on the PSP. It's not really a comeback.
0: Yeah, that's more of a footnote.
3: I'm
1: trying
0: to yeah.
3: think
1: in terms of games that, you know, didn't do well in their time, got a remake for some reason and then succeeded. But I'm kind of coming up blank.
3: I know there are some like that. Right. Um, but what are they? What are yeah, they
1: games man? don't have the sort of like... Cult y thing like movies do. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, it feels like things get rediscovered, but all that does is increase their price on eBay. It doesn't like right, right. <laughs> bring a game back out from the dead, or like
1: I guess like uh, I I hate to say, it, but like Windjammers. I guess right, like that's oh, yeah. kind of an obscure game, and then it had a cult following that led to a re release, and it's more popular than it was in its time. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: I think that's a good one. Like you, you wouldn't say the same of Streets of Rage four because right. i think that was always popular and there was just a gap um, right exactly and i don't think you would say the same either of actually wait what about uh the wonder boy games i feel like mm. there's like a like a large scale resurgence of those because they're <laughs> yeah. multiple games
0: it's just really easy to license or something i think yeah. the remakes were good <laughs> i think punch out is the best answer we got here wow
3: yeah. <laughs> right you're just trying to make frank win again
0: in 2004 we reported that john woo had optioned the film rights for metroid if we at insert credit could secure the film rights to any video game what would it be oh oh wow
3: he didn't make that metroid i guess
0: i guess not he couldn't figure out a place to put doves in space
3: uh he would he would have figured it out
0: give him little helmets
3: he could have done it
0: i'm still on punch out i think punch out would be a good anime (laughs) that's true yeah, get the uh, Hajime no Ippo guys behind it. Yeah, that's already an anime. There you go.
3: Oscar hundred twenty percent, just a bit, <laughs> big old, big old battle anime. Well, also,
0: I feel like a lot of
2: these games can do anime, but maybe we should restrict ourselves to something like a, a feature length movie.
3: Yeah, I think okay. probably so.
0: John Woo stranglehold. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'd make a near movie. Really? Yeah.
0: Would you have to like go back to the theater three times to get all the endings?
3: <laughs> I would do that thing where like there were a, c- a couple of movies that recorded several different endings so it wouldn't get spoiled. Like Clue. Yeah. And so nobody would know it. And I believe that Clue actually aired different endings in different theaters. I mm-hmm. believe that's true. Yeah. yeah. And so it would be something like that where you would actually make one and two thirds movies. And each each of the, of the features has one third that's different from the other.
0: I'm not sure that's the way to do it because near specifically, those endings are designed to be viewed in sequence.
3: I guess that's true. That would be up to the customer. They'd have to figure out which one to see. Yeah, It would cause some social media stuff to happen
1: with people comparing notes, which could be really good for your film.
3: Yeah, Hmm. it could. I mean, if we want to do it straightforwardly, Jaffe, we could could just say near route A, route B, route C. Sure. And route D is you just don't buy a ticket.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And each route is in fewer and fewer theaters, so you have to go further and further out of your way to see the whole thing.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of them are only in... Rural America, and some of them yeah. are in
2: Los Angeles.
0: One of them's only on Fandango. <laughs> right?
2: One of them's only
3: on Near, Fandango. Yes,
0: ending D is only on Fandango. D for Dango.
2: That method I think would work really well with the whole uh, movie roadshow system that they have in Japan, where mm-hmm. oh, okay, we got a film here, it's going to be in this city, then it's going to be in this city and this. City. Oh yeah, but I'm not sure about America. We could try it.
3: It would. Yeah. I mean, right now, I think the theaters are happy to try anything. They, they yeah. need to get people <laughs> back in there. But I think if we wanted to make money maybe we do like a halo or a gears of war yeah
1: i was thinking in terms of money because i just don't care when like a franchise gets translated to another medium like i don't i don't care um so my motivation is just making money and uh my answer is the legend of zelda oh yeah Zelda. you could just make a really generic you know hero's journey adventure movie with a zelda skin and people would eat it up and you could do sequels forever because Zelda doesn't need to have the same
0: actors and characters to be yeah, Zelda. Yeah, you could just take any generic fantasy script sitting on someone's desk and retitle yep. it Zelda. Yep, good Absolutely.
3: idea. Uh-oh, Frank, you're going to win again.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Now, the, the winners of this episode are the listeners for sticking it out through the whole runtime. Nice. In 2005, insert credits speculated on the name change of Yakutan Saiban to Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. What gets changed when porting a video game? do you mean localizing if you want to take it that way what did you
3: yeah
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) what is the question (laughs) uh what what gets changed when you're moving a video game from one audience to another audience to one system to another type of system
1: okay so we're talking about porting from gba to ds not localizing from japanese to english i was kind of bundling them okay
3: so everything (laughs) yeah uh i mean i think Mm. localization wise especially if you're following the working designs model then you just add a bunch of 90s jokes and um make it terrible like that's that's (laughs) one of the things you try to do
0: yeah just make it bad there are
3: definitely some real challenges with localizing things like in gunsport which we put out recently we've got a team that says things in a language from the congo but they also Mm -hmm. say some things in french and For the French translation, is it meaningful for them to still say things in French when the majority is is English and and another dialect? Or do you change the French to be a different language so that they're speaking some other language in French, but then that doesn't really make sense because the point is that they're like overcoming a colonization kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that kind of stuff is like, I'd rather not have to think about it.
1: (laughs) Especially Japanese to other languages. I, I think that the the struggle I often see when looking at localization stuff is like puns and wordplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause that just seems like a really hard thing to get across. And it, it, it almost seems to me like the best way to localize that, that I've seen is when you throw it out and just say something else. that's funny.
3: Yeah. write New jokes. Yeah. They had that new joke they did in Yakuzo like a dragon um, okay. where there was a, a guy who was speaking broken English in the japanese original and they had to kind of redo it in a totally different way that i've now forgotten did anybody else see this help
1: well i played the game and there's a guy who doesn't speak japanese and he needs directions and ichiban tries to help him in broken english
3: right okay so they basically but i was
1: playing with the japanese audio on so i don't know you know if they
3: changed it they did. They did something okay. very specific for it that uh, everyone thought was good that I've completely forgotten.
2: Sorry, I'm still thinking about that question, especially starting from Phoenix Wright, because, you know, in terms of the things that are changed, uh, yeah, you can think about it as changing what's there in the game. And then there's also changing um, or establishing this new world, right? Right. Because Phoenix Wright, you're ostensibly in Los Angeles, but some for some reason your client's are not allowed uh, a trial uh, with a jury of their peers, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so is that is that what you consider a change? That is a that's kind of a scary change. I'm not sure yeah. I want that. Honestly, the fact that they made it America that that's really substantial. I don't think I could have done that. Uh, that was a strange the choice there.
3: Yeah that that kind of stuff is really funny to me. Like you'll you'll be watching an anime or uh, playing a game. And the creators will try to set something in America and they'll have people outside their homes having a typical American conversation, such as when you have to sort your burnables from your non burnables and uh, and the various (laughs) different recyclings like that's a that's difficult when you have to put your garbage out uh, on the designated day. And it's like, yeah, that's um, something that only you think is universal to the world, but it really only happens in Japan. I love that kind of stuff when it just sneaks in there. And they're like, look at this universal experience. These two Americans will talk about
0: it. All right. Here is a question for Vincent. What are the insert credit type of games that influenced you to get into game composition?
2: That's a good one. Wow. Insert credit type games. Um, Right. Honestly, I would actually have to go back to that first question when we were talking about the GP32, Mm -hmm. because those Korean soundtracks are excellent. Um, so, the stuff from Sonority, the stuff from that uh, game music group SoundTemp, they are really good. They are on a par with, you know, when we think of companies like Taito or Falcom sound team, SoundTemp is right up there with them. And being exposed to the stuff that those guys did, you know, whether it be for things like uh, Arcturus or then going into. Obviously, their MMO stuff, uh, Ragnarok Online, there was some really fantastic work done on those soundtracks. And I thought, wow, it's not just a Japanese thing. And that was actually a really big turning point for me at the time, because when I was younger, I did have this sense of... This type of music comes from Japanese games. This type of music comes from European games. This type of music comes from American games. And then there was this whole other world that sort of flipped the switch and got me looking at music a little bit more closely in different types of games and different genres from different companies and, and caring about the individual composers that did these things. Korea was actually a huge influence there.
3: Vince, I also remember that you had, you did something, you edited somehow and altered the opening sequence for Magic Knight Ray Earth Saturn game. That was one of the first music things you ever showed me that you had done. Do you remember that? Oh my God. Yeah, now I remember that. You you showed me that in your dorm room and I didn't like it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was, I mean, that was done when I was, Pretty young. I mean, Magic Mike yeah, Earth came out. Eighteen, nineteen. Right? Yeah, it was just interesting because again, I was trying to figure out what the hell was the difference between the way that American rock music was supposed to sound and Japanese rock or pop music uh, was supposed to sound. And yeah, I remember that at the time, news groups were still a big thing. So, Rec Games, Video Arcade, uh, Alt Games, Sega Saturn. Those types of news groups were sharing all sorts of information. Those were the cool forums back in the day. And before Magic Knight Rare Earth came out, they actually did show what the opening song could be for Magic Knight Rare Earth, uh, the the Saturn port from Working Designs. And I figured, hey, I'm going to play around with this. I, I think I have an idea of what it means to be... American sounding versus Japanese sounding, and I'm going to try to split the difference in a cool way, in a somewhat more aggressive way than the American track was doing. You know, I, I was learning at the time.
3: I'm not trying to rake you over the coals here. It, the, the fact that I didn't enjoy it could be my problem, not your problem. No, I think it's okay.
2: Uh, I, I mean, I actually listened to it maybe four or five years back because I was looking at some of the stuff that was hosted on my old website just stuff hiding in hidden folders and whatnot and i thought oh man is this really that good uh, there are a couple of tracks from my early days you know 15 20 years back that i thought oh wow that's uh not bad i definitely but showed some, some promise with that, that track and yeah that rare earth one wasn't necessarily one of them
3: <laughs> uh, what about um casey you from uh, of of oscar 120 percent fame
2: uh he's freaking fantastic <laughs> Yeah.
3: Would you say that he was an influence as well in,
2: in um, those days? Oh, yeah. I think he's still an influence. I also know that there are some things that he just naturally does that I do not have developed in terms of the way that he treats rhythm, the way that he treats certain chords and, and chord progressions. There is some mojo that he's got that if I was trying to do that, I would just be merely imitating. I don't really have that in me
3: it's almost like a jazz fusion thing that he does uh mixed with pop music oh here's the buzzer
0: vincent thank you so much for joining us it is frankly inexcusable that it took us 180 episodes to have you on the show and i still don't don't believe it yeah (laughs) we'd really love to have you on again sometime very soon let's do it sure all right uh before we move on is there anything you'd like to plug or recommend to our listeners Let's see. I've been
2: spending almost a decade working on this game called Sky. I, I would say, hey, play that game because my music and sound is in there. That is at least one man's sky. <laughs> <laughs> one man's sky, indeed. now there were a lot of people that worked on it. Uh, but it's really funny that uh, I've been working at that game company for almost a decade now on this game. And there are a lot of people that still wonder what the heck that game company has done since Journey uh and then they realize that it's a mobile game oh that that's why
3: (laughs) (laughs) but you should listen to the soundtrack it's real good
0: yeah uh the music is definitely gonna own uh vincent thank you so much uh we'll be right back after a quick break with our next guest
1: tell you what if i can't buy a game in a package at target it ain't no video game that's right
0: Uh, Chris, is that your best mic?
4: Unfortunately, yeah.
0: We'll make do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's going to
4: be
3: the day of variable
0: audios. (laughs) Welcome back to the day of variable audios. This is the 20th anniversary episode of Insert Credit. We're back with one of the original contributors to Insert Credit from its earliest days, Chris Woodard. Chris, uh, what can you tell us about your experience with Insert Credit?
4: Uh... There's not much to tell. Now, <laughs> I think back on it. Uh, mostly, you know, Sheffy was just a close, uh, sorry, Brandon Sheffield mm-hmm. was a close uh, tell friend. me,
3: Sheffy, you're allowed to.
4: Close friend in real life. Uh, we like to talk about movies and video games a lot. And he was like, hey, I'm starting up a website. Do you know how to write? I think you can write. And I was like, maybe? I don't know. It turns out it was kind of a, a middling answer of like, if I finish things, yeah, uh, I, I, I wrote okay. <laughs> But uh, I rarely finish things. A lot of ambitious projects that never saw the light. I think it probably have like two or three things published on Insert Credit.
0: That's perfect, because some of Insert Credit's favorite games are unfinished things with a lot of ambition.
4: Some of my favorite games are two, actually. So that
0: that does seem appropriate. Right. Well, you're part of the family.
3: One of the things that uh, Chris wrote was about um, Kingdom Hearts. And that was a huge traffic driver for a while, because he got the like secret ending and... This was before YouTube, and insert credit was the only place that had that ending. And wow! While, there, there were a bunch of uh, AMVs out there, like anime music videos. I think is what they're called that had parts of that sequence, ending sequence, and it had the insert credit watermark on it. So you'd see <laughs> these, these, these fan videos. Wow! That, that were like promoting insert credit.
4: I totally totally forgot about all that but you know that that brings to mind you know how we had to do that was i had to bring over my japanese playstation that's right uh, to your mom's place in el sabrante uh and then hook it up to your pc and then like play the ending of the game again to get to the secret movie and then record that
3: right because i had a capture card for some reason yeah
4: yeah on a desktop yeah uh and this this has got like 2001 2002 something like that
3: uh, two or three something like that
4: so yeah capture cards were not a negligible expense it was kind of like you know you had to have a reason to have one and I still actually don't did you get it for insert credit is that why you had one or you just happened to have one
3: uh, I think I must have because I I never happened to have anything oh wait no you know I think what happened is Scott Millette, who also was did some early stuff on insert credit he built my pc that I had in college and he had had a capture card before and he gave me his hand-me-down and that was why i had one goodness <laughs> anyway
4: i feel very out of my element here i have to say i was eavesdropping on uh the conversation with vincent there and i if he's eavesdropping now hi hi vince i'm very proud of all your success over the years
3: well you got to get back into the element that's my
4: advice get in it yeah right. I'm trying.
3: <laughs> just just slide in there right
4: speaking of which uh, hi frank is he still there frank did we lose frank
1: Frank, did we lose you? Am I here? Am I here? Hello? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, hi. Okay. Sorry, my, my microphone like unplugged itself. Hi, Chris. All right. hey,
0: All hey. Right. Well, hey. you're an essential part of Kingdom Hearts history, so don't sell yourself short. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, this next question is mainly for Frank and Brandon, though. You guys spent <laughs> about a, a year <laughs> introducing the Western world to Tose, a ghost <laughs> developer that worked on over a thousand games, including the Game & Watch Gallery and the Dragon Ball titles. What can you tell us about Tosei Now, and what are some other really important game companies we've never heard of?
1: Tosei Now? I don't don't know much about Tosei Now. Yeah, what do you remember about them? To give this some backstory, when Brandon and I were working together at Gamasutra slash Game Developer Magazine, there was an event that happened uh, around GDC that was unaffiliated um, called Game Connection. The premise was speed dating for game developers and game publishers. So developers could get these tiny little meeting rooms where they could do demos and stuff and book appointments with publishing representatives who were there, like 15-minute demos, something like that. Um, the idea being that, you know, you start a relationship and maybe they publish your game. And it was a uh, good time for me and Brandon because we were the only journalists there. And it was a whole bunch of game devs showing weird prototype crap. So, like, we saw all these weird games that never happened. We saw we saw games that happened Uh, eventually only because we saw them and talked about them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And these developers were not prepared to like talk to the press. So we just kind of barge in and be like, hi, who are you? What are you doing? And they like just show us all their stuff. It was great. And the organizers there kind of pulled us aside and they were like, hey, you should really talk to these guys. And we had no idea who Tose was because nobody did essentially, unless you were maybe someone who contracted game devs. So we went and talked to them and they were telling us their company history and I mean I don't know if you remember like their headcount was crazy and like they said they'd been yeah, in business. Over a thousand since, people. Yeah. They were like, yeah, we have over a thousand people. We've been in business since nineteen seventy eight. But and yeah. I think we published some of this interview on Gama Sutra, but it was just like, why have we never heard of you?
3: It was <laughs> and- one of these wild things where like you, you rarely get this as a journalist, where we were just sitting there asking questions, basic questions, and every answer felt like that galaxy brain meme where it's it's just like what (laughs) you have how many people that work for you uh your first client was snk (laughs) i mean that maybe that wasn't their first but that was the first they could talk about because they made sasuke versus commander in 1979 (laughs) wow and it's, it's just like everything we and you work you all worked on like Resident Evil Four and Street Fighter Four, and you half owned the Starfy license. I don't even barely, barely even knew what that was at that time. Just like everything we would ask them is like, How, "Are you lying?" <laughs>
0: right, <laughs> and that's a lot of the magic of. Insert credit, kind of like that secret history of video games that uh, yeah. you're reporting on. Stuff that you would never hear anywhere else. But uh, are there any other hidden game companies like that that uh, we should know more about? Or is that where it ends?
1: I mean, there's nothing else like Tose, but... Yeah, oh, I just, I just like... want to
4: jump in here to say that I actually remember that day when you guys talked to them about that. I remember the look on your faces.
3: like <laughs>
4: There's just this, this dumbfounded look as you're walking around. Like, your entire reality <laughs> had just changed. Because it you're... actually yeah, had. Guess, well, yeah. you, you guys started explaining this to me. I'm like, is this just an elaborate prank that you just came up with to, like, screw with everybody here? Because none of that makes sense. How come nobody's ever heard of this ever? <laughs> and they weren't even trying to keep it secret. It's just nobody asked.
3: Yeah, we were, we were trying to put it together in our heads as we were going around. Like, so, so the, like, what else did they do? They did All everything. Right. Did they work on everything? <laughs> Are they the entirety of the Japanese game industry? Right, and
1: you, and if you look now, you know, and there are clues leading to to them. That's like they made like Kid Icarus, <laughs> you know, right. like the original NES game. Like, what else did you guys
3: do? Yeah, it, and there, there are a lot of other um ghost or stealth developers out there in Japan. And uh, if you look at the Game Developer Research Inst- Institute Gdri, they do a lot of digging through just like credits and old stock reports and things, just to try to figure out who these companies were who worked on what but you know tose wasn't always doing the whole game sometimes they were just doing some of the art. sometimes they would contract some design they had like this huge fully functioning game studio where they would rent out individual groups or individual developers and then they would never put their name on it so you would never know that their hand had touched it their their aim was to be invisible I spent a lot of work convincing them that they needed to start putting their name on stuff Mm -hmm. so that they could continue to get clients as the uh, climate changed.
0: Insert credits, Tim Rogers declared the death of print video game media on April 16th, 2008. Is that about right? What was it in regards to what happened? Oh, it was kind of a long essay. You know how he is. (laughs) 2008?
1: No, it was, well, well, let me think. Yeah, um, when
3: like we can't identify the end point of it because it's still ongoing so i wh- oh
1: i disagree i mean it's it, it exists sort of but it's, yes, i guess it's, it's a shouldn't. shambling corpse <laughs> yeah i mean like i mean i could tell you all of them i mean in the united states game informer is the only one um yeah and then in the uk they've got like two and and then like five nostalgia mags that don't count so i mean they've they've been dead for a while 2008 though i mean you still have EGM and GamePro and stuff. So that seems a little bit early. Uh, I I think I might disagree uh, with that. I think it probably... Uh, gosh. So the last EGM, I think, was January 2009. Hmm. Um, so he wasn't that far off. He wasn't that far off. Maybe, maybe the cancellation was announced at that time. Um, I don't know.
3: You could see it coming, though.
1: We could see it coming. It's true. I mean, I was subscribed to a bunch of them as a news editor because... Uh, I figured out this trick that no one else figured out, which is that all of the magazines make all of this great content and then don't put any of it online. Um, yeah. So I would subscribe to all the magazines and like extract things from their interviews that they themselves didn't extract and break their own news stories without them. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, neat trick
0: if you can get away with it.
1: I don't know. Like I'm thinking back to even when I started in this in like 2005, and yeah, I was technically writing for print magazines, but I feel like even by then the conversation was entirely online and print was just this thing that existed for some reason. I think game developer was exempt from that for the record. I think game developer was more of a reference thing. So print made sense, but like the days of, of magazines being the source for opinions and news was, was, was dead before 2008. I
0: think what was the last days of that?
1: Uh, I don't think I'm qualified to answer because I wasn't paying attention to games from like, 96 to 2003 or something like that
3: yeah print was like i never really paid attention to it but i always got this feeling like as soon as i got into the professional journalism industry i was already getting the feeling that the glory days were well behind us and i remember distinctly distinctly going to this i think it was a spider-man 3 video game launch event and it was in a bar i was
1: with you for this so it was like an outside bar i remember this event
3: and there was a tarantula that i got to pet
1: (laughs) yes yes that was spider-man 3 yeah
3: and i I had to spend i spent the majority of the night trying to convince the tarantula handler that i would be very very good and would not harm the tarantula and and it would be okay to let it walk on me i kept like coming back and being like really though (laughs) It, it'll really be fine. I love animals. I just I just want to hold it for a little while. Yeah. Um, it. I spent most of my night doing that, and uh, and then eventually I succeeded. But the point of this story is not that. It <laughs> is that I was, um, I was sitting out in that outdoor part of that bar, and there were a bunch of kind of old guard journalist types, some of whom had moved into PR since, some of whom were still there. And they were talking about how crappy this party was because time was with a big license like Spider-Man They'd fly you out to like Cancun and, you know, pay for your hotel room and do all this stuff. And I just remember thinking that that was simultaneously terrible. And I'm glad they didn't do that kind of stuff anymore. And I felt sad that I missed the boat and I didn't get flown to Cancun. (laughs) You know, at that time I was like, well, clearly print has fallen very far from where it used to be because they used to care so much about what we all thought that they would fly us around the world. And I still did get to go to a lot of places because of journalism for free. Well, and they still cared what, what we thought when
1: we were really in it's it. It's true. I, it's I don't true. think that they care at all at this point what, you know, online or whatever thinks anymore. I, I think that, you know, yeah, it's over. I think we're way past that. So I think Tim was pretty close. I'm going to give him that.
0: All right. In two thousand nine, there was a lot of pontification on insert credit on what constituted good or bad video game journalism. Where do you stand on that now?
3: It's all bad. No, I don't think that anymore. Um, I used (laughs) to think it was all bad. Now I I actually do believe that, in part, because of insert credit and its um, the people that left insert credit, that game journalism has improved. I think that people have, by and large, given up the idea of an objective opinion in a review. I think there's still some fans that think that that's something that you should be able to do, but I don't think any journalists are like, yeah, this is the truth about this video game. Um, People now acknowledge that it is entirely a subjective experience depending on the individual, and they start explaining their context instead of trying to put forth the absolute truth. Uh, And I also think that we've gotten a lot better covering the game industry and labor issues, issues of various disparities. Mm -hmm. I think it's all around better than it was. And it's too bad that it's better now that nobody cares instead of (laughs) back when it mattered. Um, But I I, I think it's better. I think we're like
1: two or three, at least, generational shifts from anything that changed because of credit, though I do think that is true. And I think... You know, you mentioned things like labor issues. Like, I think that actual journalism is happening a lot more now, or at least uh, a lot more professionally, maybe, than yeah. it ever has before. You know, several times a month, I feel like there's long form, you know, multi-source journalism on something important. I think this question goes way beyond Video games?
4: would have you been keeping up with uh, game <laughs> journalism yeah. and all these? Uh, I, stuff? I, I would say you guys actually touched on the things I was going to say, which is that, you know, the stuff I was doing with you guys back in the early 2000s, I, I think nobody's going to disagree if I say, like, you know, the perspective was really frivolous. It was like early 20-year-old sure. white guys talking about you know what they thought was cool. Definitely. Whereas now it's like, yeah, we're seeing real reporting on labor conditions. You know, Jason Schreier, I know, does a lot of good work. Yeah. Um, on that stuff, mm-hmm. and also uh, the cultural conversation around representation in terms of uh, women, minorities, uh, and trans, and all that, is become a mainstream conversation. So in that sense, journalism's in a better place, and that it's being talked about openly, and it's not a question about like, oh, should we talk about this? Uh, that's in a good spot. But also, I agree with Frank in terms of like, you know, the actual. Conversation journalism is so much bigger now than just being able to focus on you know, video game journalism. I, I, I don't know what that necessarily means other than just...
3: Jason Schreier is an interesting example, though, because he is doing good work now, but he is also somebody that we used to kind of make fun of as doing like fluffy nothing stuff. <laughs> you know, it's not just an evolution of game journalism. It's I think we've seen an e- evolution of game journalists that choose to stick in it and continue to actually... It's like, okay, if I'm going to... St- keep doing this work i need to start really making it matter and do good work
4: what actually matters here what is what is actually the thing that's motivating me is it like oh pretty things on a screen or is it human beings
3: yeah and um it's 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 interesting to see that because so many people have left and you know i was i was grateful to leave when i did instead of Mm any time later because the longer you take to leave journalism the harder it gets to do something else
1: Right. i don't trust anyone who left it for pr boom i said it
4: <laughs> that's i mean that's a that's a very revealing career move i do have to say
0: we all know that insert credit was started as a scam to get into conventions uh that's right. so they frequently, <laughs> accurate <laughs> so insert credit frequently reported on strange and interesting displays at those conventions what are some of the most striking from the early days of the website
3: there's so much fun weird stuff
1: i mean when i reported on that ces that i talked about at the top of the show ces in 2004 or whatever it was is well past it being the video game show uh so the reporting was on uh the gizmondo and the phantom i don't know what the equivalent would be now of you know (laughs) we're going to a show and reporting on the giz oh the gizmondo the phantom and the apex extreme (laughs) was also at that show
3: wasn't Um, it actually one word so it was like apex stream and it sounded like ape extreme yes it was one word yes <laughs> yeah. um and i
1: i forget which manufacturer was doing that i think it was like it might have been phillips or something um it was basically a pc with a custom build of windows that just like installed and launched your games it was like a gamer pc uh, it never came out but uh, I do remember a line that I'm still kind of happy about, which is that the CEO of that company like came in in the middle of the presentation and they asked us to applaud for some reason. <laughs> Please clap. Right. <laughs> and everyone did. All them all them journos getting the free food started clapping because this guy existed. That was my first uh, look at what journalism was, was, was journalists clapping because a guy exists.
4: Uh, I remember the N-Gage. Presentation. That's, Ooh, that's my first yeah. uh, Where they had like that, I remember like,
1: reading this on intercredit. That was, the, that was like,
4: <laughs> the like the dance troupe that came like running through the audience up there, and like they weren't quite break dancing. I don't know what they were doing, but then there was like some spoken word rap about yeah. the end of like the single player or cruity. uh <laughs> and you know, it was very. You know, this was my first time actually. Like, I think going to E three maybe at all, and this was like a, a conference. I uh, think
3: this that was, was GDC. It was, that...
4: it, was in, it was in L.A., though. So. Oh,
3: okay. Maybe it was E3 then.
4: Or did the, was there a GDC in, in L.A. that no. one time?
3: We went to two. I don't remember if you went to both. We went to 2 um engage presentations. And the one that I remember having hip-hop dancers and spoken word and uh, a bunch of really, really finished stuff was... Yeah,
4: uh, San- uh, Santa Claus and his toboggan. <laughs>
3: yeah. I remember Santa Claus and his do- toboggan being in L.A., but I remember the dancers being in at a GDC in San Jose, but that might be wrong. Uh, I might've pushed them together, but I remember Gerard Wiener saying engage arena a bunch of times. um, And then
4: then John Romero was there also, I believe if I remember correctly.
3: And I I punched him on the shoulder and said, (laughs) John Romero. (laughs) And that was it.
4: (laughs) That probably made his day. He was probably like, yes, yes, I am.
3: I am. That's right. Boy, there were so many weird things. Engage was a great one because it was like, It was the ultimate of excess because Nokia was at the top of their game. This was the early 2000s. Nokia had all the money because there were no smartphones. Um, Right. Nokia was the best. And they're like, we could make a phone that's also a game console. And they could, but they shouldn't have.
0: Um, (laughs) Millions of people play Snake. So clearly we know what we're doing.
3: And they spent so much money on that thing and you could just see the money bleeding away in front of your eyes.
4: You had to hold the phone like in this really weird way to actually use it as a phone side talking yeah. side talking. Yeah. And also Frank, didn't you cover like a, an unreleased game for it? If I remember right, where like you go to prison and you can uh, let, let's s- yeah.
1: was it's, Gizmondo it's colors. Uh. Yeah, it was, it's Brandon. Well, no, it wasn't actually Brandon's copy of colors, but Brandon has a copy of colors. I do. Um, yeah. And I, I, uh, I did a brief, probably embarrassing now thing about um, how you could choose to be raped in prison in order to, I think, save money uh, 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 paying yeah. your way out of prison. Yeah, uh,
4: that, uh, that, left, that left an impression on me.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was a weird thing to do in that game. And then I don't know that we had the language to talk about that in a good way at that time. I, I, can, yeah. hear,
4: I can guarantee you we did not.
1: Yeah, because my perspective at that time was this is so weird that it's funny. Like, it, right. I did, I, I wasn't capable of taking the next step of saying it's weird, and the reason that I find it weird is because it's
0: wrong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> did Gizmondo ever fight with Gizmodo?
3: They never did. I don't. I don't think they even overlapped very much. I think only a very few of us were like, "Well, those names are too similar." <laughs> <Come on. laughs> yeah. I don't think they existed together
1: for for too long well i was gonna say i don't think very many people were paying attention to the gizmondo you know right. like that's, that's a very insert credit thing to obsess over and we haven't lost that because brandon and i will talk about that in television amico all day long
3: all day long so, Yeah. speaking of which and we're the only Whoa. we are the only two people paying attention to that council in the <laughs> world but if other people were they'd be like hmm there's some there's some things to look
0: at here In 2011, Frank reported on Star Odyssey, a then-new RPG for the Sega Genesis. Since then, new games for retro consoles have become a bit of a cottage industry. How did that happen, and what are the ones worth talking about? In
3: general, I would say, how did it happen is people that played those games as a kid got old and don't like new games, and so just wanted to make more. But in specific, especially for the Genesis, there is a... A tool framework called SGDK, which really makes making Sega Genesis games so much easier because you don't have to worry about, like, sprite or screen positions yourself every time. This framework does it for you. Like, whereas before you would have to worry about how to stitch all the bits of a large sprite together and how all the animations would work together. With this, you can actually, like, make some animations put all the frames in and then it will go like it it will work all that stuff out for you uh and that's uh pretty good i think that that has gotten the industry the that cottage industry really it lit a fire under it because when you can make games easier you just start doing it any genesis game that has decent graphics will make at least fifty thousand dollars on kickstarter so (laughs) There's like a a reason to do it, sort of, if you're like a small team.
0: Easy money right now. I don't know what the margins
1: are and stuff like that. I think Uh, it's pretty small. No, it's very
3: small. But it's like, if you're a hobbyist dev, it really feels like something. Like, you can't make that your living because you're probably spending half that money on carts and shipping. But you can start your career that way or something. I don't know.
1: I actually think this market started with Superfighter team Hmm. um, doing pure solar. Um, which was, it was a Korean
3: pure solar is um that's watermelon uh, magical oh. game time. But I do agree that it started with super fighter team. They brought out that like water legend or they, they oh, be- got some bigger prints, bigger prints, bigger prints. Yeah. I think that they were it. mostly Taiwanese. uh Mega Yeah, games. that's right. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um And that started the sort of industry, I would say like there's, there's been, you know, what we would call homebrew uh, for, a long time i mean you could find examples of like atari stuff in the late 90s but i think that was the first time that it was almost like well that's the first time that you started seeing headlines about like new game for old console yeah um i wrote a lot of this yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think i wrote something for your magazine about
3: this i think i must have requested that yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I i think it just spawned from there it is kind of an interesting industry now um there's a lot of this stuff as, as Brandon. I mean, Brandon buys all the Sega Genesis stuff that comes out.
3: I do. I'm an idiot. And
1: like, <laughs> sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes it's like, well, you got a company like Pico Interactive that like their whole thing is this game never came out. Therefore, it's valuable. It's like mm-hmm. their yeah. entire model. They yeah. just did a Kickstarter for Stone um, Protectors, which was like the 90s cartoon that didn't even last a full season that was, hey, what if, what if we made trolls but for boys? <laughs> they had like it was like troll dolls but with bondage gear and swords. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it it came out for I think the Super Nintendo, but he did a Kickstarter to put out the unreleased Sega Genesis version, but also he found tapes of the show in the UK and he was gonna put out a DVD set of the 13 episodes, including the three lost episodes for the first time. And I think it got like fifty backers or something.
3: <laughs> yeah. That one was a weird one because I looked at it and like they they're like, also there's an NES game and a Genesis game. It, it, it's like the smallest footnote in the body text. So there isn't,
1: it's just that they will make, they one. were going to make so, one, right? So that's, yeah. that's a weird thing he does. You mentioned Jim power. Jim power was, uh, an, an Amiga game that got ported to the super Nintendo or whatever. And he did a Kickstarter to like put out cartridges but then also backport back it to the NES for some reason. Yeah. So I think that's like part of his business model is I take this game. I don't care how terrible it is. The value is that it didn't come out at the time. And not only do I release it, but I backport it to the NES.
0: In conclusion, Jim power,
1: Jim that's power. Right. Don't play Jim power. <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't, don't <laughs> play it.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. But most of all, thank you for teaching our audience that uh, Brendan Sheffield can be referred to as Sheffy Which is something that I don't think has ever come up on the show before.
4: My work here is done then.
0: Only a few people are allowed to do that. (laughs) Uh, Before you go, is there anything you'd like to tell us to check out?
4: Uh, Akira Kurosawa has made some very fine films. I recommend those.
0: That's true. Good point. (laughs) I'm fond of Rashomon.
4: That's not how I remember it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This was weird. Yeah,
0: it was very (laughs) weird, Uh, but it was also great. Thanks for hanging out with us. (laughs) All right. Thank Uh, you so much we'll be right back after a quick break with our next surprise guest
5: i love to be surprised (laughs) well too bad because you already know who it
1: is that's true i can see their name right in the discord
0: Welcome back to the 20th anniversary star-studded special of the Insert Credit show. Joining us for this segment, we have two special guests. First is a significant contributor to Insert Credit for a number of years. Please welcome our next guest, Azure Lore Corrigan.
6: Yeah. Hi there. Thank you for having me.
0: Hi, uh, Azure. Can you uh, speak a little bit to your uh, history with Insert Credit for those of us uh, just familiar with the show?
6: Oh, yeah, sure. Where I first... um became aware of the website was i was looking actually i think for news of um king of fighters 2002 or something and because like there was like all the ambiguity because snk was in its whole you know situation back then and so i logged on to the madman's cafe which i checked recently and it hasn't changed the exact same people are posting there including you brandon i saw you (laughs) and you know the website i mean the the design hasn't been updated since like 2001. It's amazing. But anyway, yeah, same people having the same conversations. Back then it was like one of the only sites that was like reporting like a lot of this slightly more obscure, you know, Japan oriented stuff. So I I, I would be checking in there like irregularly about this sort of stuff. And while I was going through the forums, which I like rarely posted on myself. I saw that you had a review of the Dreamcast version of King Freddy's 2000. So I was like, okay, and I followed you to that site and then while I was there, I poked around and I found a couple of articles by this other guy who I mean they just they were really long. They just rambled on and on and on, but oh, really they, um they had this really sincere heart to them underneath like all this bluster, right? It's like there's this whole like performance on the top of it, but underneath, you know, there's this weird sort of vulnerability. And I was just like, this is interesting. And I sent him an email and uh, it was like really vague because like, I think I'd actually email, I tried emailing you first, Brandon, um, but the email had bounced. And
3: <laughs> oh, I was having a lot of email troubles in those days that, because we didn't have like Gmail or whatever. So you'd have to host right. your insert credit email on some weird,
6: yeah whatever dang yeah you have to like get your pop three servers and whatever so yeah so then first I, like i emailed you but i didn't realize that the email had bounced and so i like first i sent tim this really inscrutable email and he was like what mm-hmm. <laughs> and i followed that up again and uh and he started talking of course about the novel he was writing at the moment the um the dh blaine or dh gray but he um didn't initially like explain that he said hey i'll, I'll send you something um do you want a gray or plain and like well and i had this whole like long thing he explained what he was doing and uh i said well does it involve noodles and he said well actually the first paragraph right here involves him going to a ramen shop so like okay as it just became this like whole weird thing and eventually he coerced me into writing for the site
3: and that's the short story Yeah, Yeah, that's that's the short short version.
0: Speaking of which, we have another special guest joining us for this segment. Uh, You know him best as the writer of the uh, Dragon Dragoon review of the Intercredit website.
7: Tim Rogers is here. Oh, yeah, that's me. How you doing?
3: It's a surprise (laughs) to everyone.
7: Yeah. 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 How how you doing? (laughs) How's everybody doing? We're doing great. Uh,
0: We're just answering some questions in five minute chunks here. Uh, We'll be cut off by the sound of a buzzer if uh, we go over time uh you prou- <laughs> oh
3: that's the one the, that the one and the
0: same <laughs> a huge part of insert credit in its original form and today was its forum community how did that aspect shape
7: insert credits identity i remember the insert credit forums i remember uh when i was writing articles on insertcredit.com and uh i i had a link to like my live journal at the end of the articles and i kept getting people popping up in my live journal comments talking about my insert credit articles and i kept thinking there should be a forum for insertcredit.com because uh, you know let people start topics on their own without having to tenuously tie everything they say in my live journal posts to both the live journal post and the article on insert credit they had to do some sort of balancing act i thought let's let me free the people and i told brandon there should be a forum and he said uh, there's already the Madman's Cafe forum. That's kind of the unofficial forum.
3: <laughs> is that what? And
7: I... That is exactly what you said. Yeah. Huh. And there was all there was a thread on the Madman's Cafe forum at that exact time about how I should die of cancer, and uh, <laughs> oh, I remember thinking, oh, that kind of sucks.
3: Well, I guess people continued that on the insert credit forum. Unfortunately, yeah,
7: Eventually, you you you, you let there stay. be a forum. Yeah. Uh, and I said, let me be a moderator on there. And you said that would be a bad idea. <laughs> Those exact words.
3: Well, you know what? I was definitely wrong about that. That would've <laughs> that was not a, that would have been a good idea and I should have done yeah. it beca- because uh boy, I let that form get out of hand and then I hated it and then I, I mean I loved it and then I hated it, and mm-hmm. then I uh gave it over to uh someone who destroyed it because I thought that uh, they that would seemed were like it. Yeah, wasn't exactly- it a terrible idea. This
7: move seemed like a thing to do historically, Brandon.
3: <laughs> no, it was, it was terrible, it was an awful move. But the current insert credit forums are very good because uh, I've learned from these lessons, and now when a jerk shows up, I squash them immediately and ban them forever. <laughs>
1: and that's just mm-hmm. how you do it. That is, I mean, I, I learned that on something awful in like 2003. Like, that is just how you moderate any platform.
2: Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. as soon
1: as someone shows up that's riffraff, you just like kill them and you continue on.
3: The thing I always had a hard time with was like people would show up who I would think, oh, maybe this person is having a bad day or maybe they are teachable. Mm -hmm. But there'd be all these people that were like just pushing the boundaries just a little bit, just see what they can get away with. And I wouldn't want to deal with that. But now I want to deal with it. I will not allow somebody being like, I'm verging on saying this kind of slurish thing, but I'm not really doing it. What are you going to do? And the answer is I'm going to ban you.
7: Right? Yeah, those people are just bonkers, man.
3: It turns out there's a lot of people
1: in the world. You can replace the bad ones
7: really easily. Yeah,
6: I've kind of started to basically figure out that you just create the world that you want to live in and you don't have to put up with other people's garbage. And people put out a lot of garbage and maybe they don't mean to, but that doesn't mean you have to deal with it. There was this whole attitude on the forum. I mean, the forum, it reset many times throughout like the original incarnation of the site, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And every time it rebooted, there was always this... This sort of a uh, goal to like this time we won't repeat repeat the same mistakes. Now we know what we're doing. You know, change out the moderators, you change out the rules, but it was always the same thing. And there was always this like entrenched attitude of, you're not my dad. You even like mildly suggest, you know, maybe that'sn't a great thing to do, and you get this screaming pushback that because like they, they knew that nothing was gonna happen, they knew that you know, that you had to basically go really nuts in order to even Put themselves in, in danger of being banned
3: and now we started a forum with the idea that i am their dad <laughs> well, you're yeah. old enough to be now i'm old enough to be, to be their dad i'm i'm pushing up on 40 real quick here tim you're already uh what
7: 42 41 i'll be 42 you're 42 in a 42 little, in a little under two months yeah yeah 42 Heck, god darn years old
3: we're everyone's dad over here
7: yeah i mean originally let's face it originally i was i was everybody's dad for That's about true. one day on the forum and then mm-hmm. i decided i i was 23 3 years old and i didn't want to be a dad sad for well, a dad i do
3: think that was actually part of the problem that we had was there was a it lot definitely of uh,
7: was, yeah.
3: a lot of the uh, the uh, as as we would say at the time high tim kind of situation where people yeah, would just,
7: just show up to troll you i was just having a good time in those articles you know <laughs> just uh, i was i was i was riling people up to begin with so if they showed up pre-riled, you know, I guess that was uh, somebody's fault more than anybody else's. Probably mine, right? Right. I don't know.
3: Well, no, I don't think so. I well, think the question was bit. not was not <laughs>
7: adequately answered here, and the the answer was that the forum was real good. Uh, it was the first forum that I was ever on on the internet where large numbers of people came in liking me. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. <laughs> um, that was so. That was that was one thing that appealed to me personally. Um, the other forums I had looked at and dabbled in were uh, they were very live journaly at around that era because the live journal was still a thing and it was just kind of people waiting for waiting to talk to each other or wait, waiting to say what they had to say you know patiently nodding and whatnot and uh, the Answer Credit forum kind of felt like people uh, uh, being collaborative creating not only uh, a sense uh, and a style though also a community and themselves.
6: Yeah, The creation is an interesting angle, though, because like for all that I've like talked up the chaos there. And I mean, it was it was a complete madhouse at times. There also was a sense that there was kind of in air quotes here, important work that was going on. Right. Of like yeah. trying to understand things from like angles that people weren't really talking about that much.
7: We were we were building a place where that understanding existed something like that right yeah right yeah.
6: I remember actually it was, yeah. I, it was some you know stupid like junket with Peter Molyneux. I actually uh, passed him a card and you know suggested you he <laughs> log onto the insert credit forums which oh, nice. you know, would not have been a wise <laughs> idea but it's like that, that's just like indicative of this whole idea of like oh well we were doing this really important you know trailblazing work with our stupid forum conversations
7: that guy would have torn it up he would have had a good time (laughs) on there
6: (laughs) it's weird though because like i've been talking to some people recently who were like i guess like influenced by like the stuff we were doing back then and this is one fella in particular that i talk with a lot who for some reason he wasn't like ever like posting actively on the forum but he would like just save posts like that that interested him like going like way back like 17 years or wherever he still has them now and he still like is able to like reference them at like a second's notice it's just like oh yeah that's you said this. weird yeah <laughs> like you said this it back in young,
3: spooks me a little bit it's just
7: scrapbooking like,
6: 2007 i'm just like what are you talking about and then he just brings it up and i'm just like holy shit why why do you that's have like I mean, the sort yeah, of thing
7: people people accuse me of doing uh, <laughs> yeah and I, I don't i don't i don't really do it i don't do anything on exactly that level though Maybe close enough to that level that I can purpose. understand.
6: It confuses me, but it's like some of the stuff that he, he saw fit to save, I can kind of see why he did. Because you think about like what like the level of conversation actually was back then. And you think, this is actually stuff that people think they're profound for talking about right now, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, there was something going on back then.
3: The current forums, it's it's nice to see. I mean, we, we started it during the pandemic, right as it was beginning. And it turned out to be something that people really needed um, as a way to find some community. And I've found it really interesting that the forums in their current iteration went immediately to people showing their creativity, posting long, long form discussions. Um, and you could see people kind of rewiring their brain to not kind of fire and forget answers. Although I, I still sometimes do that on there. It feels like People and game discussion is now ready for the forum, the type of forum that we were trying to make back then, and that now people can slot right into this and be like, oh, this is the thing I was looking for, where people are actually trying to have a meaningful conversation. They've
7: had a decade and change of the social media era, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly places like Twitter, where uh, toxic Behavior is weaponized via a character limit that forces people to try to say something economically and end up saying it in a way that ends up getting them uh, misunderstood. And you end up having, you end up just having horrible arguments. Then people double down on bad opinions rather than learn something. You've ended up with all the worst behavior that ever happened on an internet forum now being uh, kind of just weaponized to a razor's edge via social media, which I find ultra hyper fascinating. And that, that is why I still... Still have a Twitter account. It, it was like they knew how to ride a bike before, and they've just had to have training wheels for ten years, and now they realize they can they they could you know they, they already knew how to ride without training wheels, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like why not go back on a, on an internet forum? It makes sense. I haven't looked at the uh, the new insert credit forum. Unfortunately, they don't even look. it's actually pretty um, good. I actually looked over at it once, uh, just a couple like like a couple months ago, and uh, I saw there was a thread about me that was yeah. locked. So. <laughs> I don't know what that says about the progress. So there, there's there's that. I didn't I didn't read it. I clicked on it, and then I didn't read it. Actually, it was a thread I, about me, and it yeah. was locked. We're well, so talking that, about
0: high-tim guys. Those were the by-tim guys. That, yeah, it makes <laughs> that, sense. That
3: directly, um, I, I think, speaks to the success of the current forums, because it was like people wanted to know some stuff uh, yeah. about you and the show, and we were talking about it. But then stuff started to get into a zone where it was like the conversation has just started to now not be productive and people are just going to get mad and whatever it got a little parasocial so we, we uh, that's it weird yeah and we moved along yeah
0: that makes sense that's two topics worth of discussion right there so i'm going <laughs> to trim one out oh don't trim one out just keep it just let it ride all right let's let it ride baby uh for <sighs> both insert credit writers and the insert credit audience. What are and were the most valuable tools for those seeking out the most obscure corners of the video
7: games medium? Was that the one you were going to cut, or were you going to keep that one? Was... I was going to cut that one. Oh, well, it's it's pretty good. Uh, Thanks. Seek out the uh, obscure.
3: I think uh, having some sort of hyperattentive disorder helps you a lot.
7: You got to get on Twitter and, and find people with like 400 followers. With a, I don't know. it's It's very hard. It's very hard now. The obscure has become more obscure by virtue of there just being more information. Specifically about the mainstream, yeah. Yeah, whereas whereas previously, in order to find the obscure, you just had to, I don't know, read GameSpot and go to the GameSpot forums. And then someone's like, I like this website, the GIA. And then you go there, and uh, they're closed or whatever. And then you go to the forum, and then there's people talking about this other website. Everybody pitching their fan site. There's like 100 people. It was so easy to find obscure, weird stuff back then. It was wild. Yeah. Now now it's like, I don't know.
3: Being like one of 10 people on the internet that could read Japanese somewhat comfortably was like about all it took at that time. Oh, yeah. Being slightly interested in Korea while other people were not. Back in the days, you could be like, I wonder if they make video games in India. And then you'd just go and look and be like, huh, guess they do. I'm going to write something about it. I think... Back then you just needed curiosity and now you need curiosity and tenacity and uh, the will to seek out something obscure because the uh, obscurity is not going to jump up in your face anymore.
1: I don't know if I agree with all this because I feel like there's probably a game a week on the Switch shop right now that no one's going to ever notice.
7: Oh, sure. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking for a long time when I was working full time at a, at a video game website, if you've ever heard of those. I, I was thinking, wow, somebody could just start a whole Twitch channel where all they do is play this new trash on the Nintendo Switch. It's like there's just a new game every day, and it's like ooh, the Chemco keeps releasing these RPGs. Have you seen those? Yeah, yeah they're it's just really weird. weird. Like, it's Like, what are those? I, I want to just play one on a stream, but also I I, I don't like being sad, so maybe <laughs> I won't. Maybe try to try to not do that. I thought that was
6: the whole secret credit thing, though. Sad video games.
7: That's it's true. Be sad. Not anymore. Now it's now it's different. Yeah. Now we put our good time hats on.
3: Yeah, it's no bummers now. I just learned about that no bummers thing. Oh no, other.
7: let's not get into oh, that, yeah. please.
3: <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I only just Yeah, learned, that, would, I don't... that
7: wouldn't be good to talk about on a podcast because it would make us all sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I still don't really know who those guys are. Bingo. So it's funny Oh, to me. you
7: know who those guys are. They're they're good. They're good boys. I they're just okay. read about them last Didn't week. Didn't we
3: have one on the show? Yeah,
1: Justin
7: yes, was on that F- episode one? 12. I
0: mean, that doesn't mean talking I Talking about who him who like he's a stray dog
7: of some sort. Finding the Good. obscure. Um, yeah, so back then it was easy to find insert credit, which talked about obscure things mm-hmm. or talked about mainstream things in an obscure way. I mean, for now, if there's a kid, imagine a kid, like a child, right? A 14-year-old child who wants to get into weird stuff, right? Were we all at one point in our lives a 14-year-old child who thought, I want to get into the weird stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah.
6: I think that's pretty much what 14-year-olds do in general. <laughs>
7: Yeah, I I don't know if I had that thought so much as, like,
1: I guess we're putting on old people hats now, but, you know, we grew up in maybe the last generation where you would be force-fed media that you wouldn't have preferred. And I think that that's what shaped the kind of people that we are in terms of seeking the obscure.
7: There's a whole one-hour-long segment in my my review of Doom about being force-fed media that we didn't care about. I just feel
6: like some weird sort of like a skill that people looked up to like the whole gen x thing for people like who had a memory Mm -hmm. of all this pop culture that they could you know relay just like oh remember this but it's like all out there now who cares that that's not a skill that
3: anymore i've still seen folks coming to the forums or sending me emails or things saying that they love our top 20 list episodes because they always get to hear about games they've never played or heard of before even when we're talking about ps2 xbox
7: I looked at the list of the best uh, Xbox three sixty games. That yeah. was that was depressing. I'm sorry. That was a bad <laughs> list. I should have been there. It was a pretty good I list. Was, that was you a many I mean, You were missing the list. Place. All right, the peak is yeah, here, a <laughs> <laughs> Just put Beautiful. that in there in case you wanted, wanted that. Uh.
0: The peak of insert credits blog output was between two thousand and four and two thousand six. What mm-hmm. are the most significant ways that video games have changed since then?
6: I just wanted to say first, uh, blogs weren't really a thing when Instacredit started. That, that, that came a little bit later.
7: Yeah. Right. The first time I heard the word blog, 1999. Second time I heard the word blog, 2008. Wow. Uh, okay, maybe not exact. Those aren't exact numbers. So, uh, Though the one creative writing teacher I ever had in college said, "I've started a blog. If anyone wants to read it?" And I thought, "Excuse me?" <laughs> I thought, "You know, am I, Do I have to? Who do, do I have to report this guy to campus authorities?" Uh, like, what's what's going on here? I don't know what this means. We were just talking
0: about in your our last segment how you declared the death of print video game media in April of
7: 2008. Oh, yeah, I did do that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. That would be around the time you heard the word blog. That's
3: when you heard the word blog, yeah.
7: Yeah, I guess that's about right. 2008, I was doing ActionButton.net. That so time, how
3: have video games changed? They've been like... Uh,
7: well, there have been two more Metroid Prime games. Two more Metroid <laughs> Primes. Though um, that's it. There's only two.
6: How, was that the question, how much your games have changed over the last twenty years? Since 2004,
0: 2006, like the peak of our output.
7: I remember calling uh, Metroid Prime the best game of all time in, in my in my my review of it for InsertCredit.com. I remember being a nice. Which was Yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was doing it directly because I was a, <laughs> to me. some some guy had called Legend of Zelda Wind Waker the best game of all time on his review on some other website, and I was just kind of making fun of him almost everything i did back then was making fun of like specific guys uh, in other internet communities it's really a shame uh because then i became the guy to be made fun of uh because people assumed that my personality was was genuine or some hybrid of i don't i don't know let's not get into that though yeah i called metroid prime the best game of all time i loved metroid prime i don't know about it being the best game of all time uh, then or now though i call it, i called it the best game of all time uh just to be annoying <laughs> I think, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and
0: that was the first and only time brandon was ever annoyed by one of tim's opinions
7: that's it oh, i was the one man the first thing i ever sent to insert credit was a review of Landstalker that brandon replied to my email with uh i showed this to our other guy vince and he said it was pretty good though i wouldn't have read it if it if i hadn't been reading it in consideration for publishing on insert credit Sorry. and i was like that was so cold
3: it was very rude i don't know i don't know i don't know exactly uh at what train stop i was getting off uh <laughs> which train stop? atop when replying to people
7: it's it's funny because because that that review of landstalker i was like i saw your post on the game of forms game forms forum the made up of the, <laughs> the newly defunct gaming intelligence agency community you were like oh hey, we're we're getting reviews and i was sitting there in japan at the time and i was like man I, maybe I could try writing some stuff about video games, because I was, I was trying to write fiction at that point uh, and failing. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play all the way through Landstalker again, and I'm going to take notes. And I did. And then I wrote this really, really meticulous... Very, very very I have to say very focused review of Landstalker. Kinda of read like I just imagine like a hardcore gaming one on one article, but five times as long. And then Brandon just was like and then I sent that trash thing about Super Mario Brothers three that I wrote to troll a particular guy on the game forums for him <laughs> and I it was just a post, a forum post. I sent him my forum post and then he posted it. So how have video games changed since then? Around that time, we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh...
3: There's a lot more of them. You can't know about all of them anymore. You used to be able to almost know about all of them. Right. Well,
7: also, video games now try their darndest from the pre-production phase to to be something that people will write about where they didn't back then. I had to concoct angles. For example, talking about Harmony of Dissonance's uh, music or more than the the game. The music was very interesting. Aria of Sorrow, not very good music. But talking about that, nobody nobody in the mainstream publications writing stuff like that. Though now, people... Uh, you know, the official social media accounts for video game companies are they're they're trying to get virality they're trying to court blogs they're aware of the conversation social media it's changed in that way they're always trying to wrangle up viral moments and goofs and tiktoks and whatnot right i don't know
6: i feel like the main change with video games is more in terms of their engagement i think the actual like language of game design has been sallow for like 20 years like nothing i'm exaggerating but only slightly i mean you look at the 10 10 year period like 1990 to 2000 you know holy shit there's no comparison but things that are being done right now they're basically like much jazzier fancier things that could have been done on like the ps2 sega dreamcast and it's like the same kind of thinking going on
3: well i think there's a lot more thinking about players now than there was in the past and and things are designed for more for humans than they are for designed for themselves
7: there are whole consultancy firms now developed around (laughs) uh slicing up every single minute of a video game a triple a video game to make sure the player uh feels uh uh, adequately participatory and feels adequately um you know gratified by what they feel and express on screen if somebody wanted to do a really good insert credit article they should uh they should uh philosophically cross compare metroid prime with the last of us part two just throwing that out there tantalize somebody try that out anybody wanted to write that i I nominate Tim I can't do it.
1: I want to slip in my answer uh, Please do. past
7: the buzzer, which is
1: that yeah, uh, we no longer have games based on movies uh, where they have it's um, true. pre-rendered cutscenes that are the same thing from the movie, but worse. And you have to watch that. that I'm going to
7: give you a bingo for that. Are you ready? Bingo! That's a, that's you. the right answer. Because there was the God darned, uh, there was like a Captain America and an Iron Man video game by Sega. You remember those? Yep. They were, oh, yeah. they were really good. I mean, they were they were weird and janky and sort of broken. And then I was like, I'm all for these Marvel movies if they're going to keep making weird Sega games, right? And then suddenly there were no more of them. Just suddenly. Because video games got big enough. And yeah, we, we
6: need more janky games. Like we we, we got more all janky, janky games
7: day. with big marketing budgets.
0: Yeah. need right, exactly. games
6: that are yeah. interesting, think, but really bad.
7: <laughs> I think for that, you got to look to fan games. And Well, like, no. We, we all know what the big janky game is. It's Fortnite yeah (laughs) Fortnite is a completely shattered broken bizarre game and it's the most popular game in the world
0: here's our next topic after all these years how would you define your relationship to video games jesus
3: i'm its dad no (laughs) it's bizarre how little it has changed though i have been uh ostensibly making video games for 16 years now uh i remain a fan of video games and can still play them without, you know, I can think about how they were made. I can think about the, all the contextual nuances and things, but I don't have to. It, it, it's not like a movie where like something jarring happens and I'm like, heck, they really messed up there. But with video games, I guess I expect some flubs and things, there's, there's that. But I, I find it very surprising that I can still just like play a video game and be a fan of it without having to, turn my brain all the way on if that makes sense i don't know if that's strange but i'm i am able to do that still uh at this time i think it's a good
1: answer yeah i like that i i'm trying to come up with an answer and i think it's that yeah i i love games but i don't think that that defines my relationship with them i don't know how to define it because it just feels like an assumed thing that it just kind of is this huge part of my life it's I, it's I don't say that in a begrudging way or anything like it i almost just don't feel anything it's just like no that's that's the rules that's you know i woke up today therefore video games is kind of yeah, how i feel
3: i hear that nice. it's integrated into the body somehow mm-hmm. it's like i know that if i go anywhere where there are people people that i don't know but who like know my mom Everyone's going to ask me about video games exclusive mm-hmm. because, because they're like, oh, the video games person has arrived. It's just a part of the whole, huh. the the core of me at this point.
1: And what are you playing?
3: Yeah. Have you played <laughs> the new X? And new What one? do you play? I love that one. What you know, you people play? are
0: making a million dollars streaming themselves playing video games.
3: I've never oh, figured out how to answer the question. What kind of games do you make? I still really? don't know how to answer that question.
7: I was seeing a pulmonologist yesterday and he Mm -hmm. asked me what do you do for a living and i said i make youtube videos and he said (laughs) oh that's nice for yourself (laughs) uh, owned i I I thought i I could i could just say i make more money than you uh and then that would have been really mean it might have been true It might not have been true i mean who knows
3: might have had some negative effects on your old palm there like he's if he's a he's messing with your palm you want to be careful
7: no, because I've I've reached a uh, uh, we've reached a point in the, the progress I'm making over here that uh they're far more interested in uh, uh, my ailment than anything I say about myself personally, which is fun. That's how most doctors are. You ever want doctors to be really cool uh, to you? Just to go at them with something really weird. Um, how has my relationship to video games changed? Let me tell you. When I was blogging about video games in the mid two thousands, I would sit down at the keyboard, usually in a filthy internet cafe, and I would say what. What sort of stupid angle can I think of to get people mad about this thing that I wrote about this video game that I dared use a word like that? I dared talk about my Dr. Pepper while reviewing Animal Crossing or whatever, right? Back then, it was always you know calculating that sort of thing. What's going to get Penny Arcade to link my article? <laughs> and now I realize that uh, I can just uh, spend nine months making a six-hour-long YouTube video about a game i always wanted to play but never really got the chance to sit down and really play and uh i can just be genuine about it and get like a half a million people watching it and that's fun to me that's it's changed that way i've learned uh i've learned to just uh be a little bit more chill with my video game experiences no angles necessary no concoction necessary anymore
3: i'm amused by your usage of the word just in front of been 9 months to make a 6 hour video <laughs> oh yeah <laughs>
7: I didn't, I I exclude the the sentence that was, and uh, finish editing it during uh, uh, 20 or 17 consecutive 20-hour days. That was just a hard Oh, we missed
6: Azure, though.
0: Yeah, Azure, before we move on, do you want to talk, do you want to answer the question?
6: Not especially. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well,
0: this next question I do want you to answer specifically. Uh, Especially in its later years, and as much and as often as it was capable. Intercredit tried to bring the most toxic parts of video game culture and the industry to task. So I suppose I have to ask, what the hell is wrong with video games? Nice. Mm. Uh. Yeah,
6: well, I mean, where to begin here? Okay, so one of the things to understand about video games is that they're just one of, like, countless forms of expression that we have, like, as people, right? Anything that we do as people it's imbued with a certain meaning that comes from our understanding of the world that we live in, whether that's conscious or not. And you know, one is slightly more conscious than we call that art, right? And the thing about video games is that th- their whole background is frankly in gambling and that you still see in that these days with like everything you were just talking about with like the honing of current A games for like the jot of brain hormones people can get from like moment to moment as they play through like the major set pieces or whatever to like the loot boxes and everything like that. But it goes back to like pinball. I mean, pinball was like an evolution of pachinko so they could get around the bands over gambling machines. Right. I mean, there's a reason why you put the coin and the slot there it's from this whole history. So like the whole Psychology behind video games there are ways to have a very interesting and constructive sort of discussion with this. I mean, if you look at the actual language of video games, it's basically about an understanding of like cause and effect of the world of like a certain like bottled world like a premise of like how things can be and you bash your head against it see what works see what doesn't work in order to understand somebody's perspective of causal reality that we live in and there are a lot of interesting discussions that could happen there but usually the way that video games are used it's like this behaviorist garbage it's like a you know feeder pellet thing where they feed people little bits of stimulation and reward In order to keep them going, it creates this kind of like a mania. The more that you play them, the more that you engage with this kind of a psychology. It messes with your own psychology just through like repetition, through reinforcement and like this expectation that you're going to get a reward no matter what you do, that you have to do everything, that nothing that you do matters unless it like achieves like a you know, successful outcome. Like a lot of the the communication language is based around violence. And so it's that's like kind of an incidental thing, but not an insignificant one. And so I'm not saying that it's necessarily like playing video games is gonna turn you into a psychopath, but I'm saying that the sort of level on which video games tend to engage people in conversation, it tends to be on a very base level, on like base stimulation. And this tends to lead to certain kinds of thinking the more that people get engrossed in gamer culture and certain ways of thinking certain expectations and the more that, that that bleeds into the rest of their lives i've been saying since way before gamergate that gamers are the worst people on earth and i don't think that that's too much of an exaggeration considering everything that's come out of it considering how you know steve bannon knew he knew how bad this whole thing was and then nobody cared that this would be like the perfect test case for starting fascism in the United States because people aren't looking that closely, because people don't take it very seriously, and because it has such base, easy stimulation that makes it very easy to manipulate people. And this kind of a manipulation, it, it poisons people's brains the more that it's reinforced. So you have to kind of measure the way that you engage with this kind of a conversation and the amount of literacy with which most people i mean understandably engage with video games they're just looking to have a good time they're not looking to find new and interesting ideas or new experiences or new look at new perspectives in the world as they might when engaging with like other forms of expression they might have to think about more or that, that have more of like a reputation of being like deep thought things and with video games, they just think, oh, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to have my little bit of reward from my life that is completely unrewarding to me. You know, everything that I'm doing in this capitalist society, which is making me feel uh, dehumanized here, I get to feel like the center of the world. Everything is built around me. Everything is built around making me feel good. And if that's like, if you're not thinking about that very critically and you're just pouring yourself into it, that's not all that different from like pouring yourself down, like an Alex Jones wormhole. And it's like all these people get weird in like Facebook groups. And Video games have very much the same effect or they can depending on how you engage with them and what kinds of games you're engaged with. I think more so than a lot of other media because they demand active engagement, but it's on this really gross level. And I'm talking a lot here. I'm sorry.
0: No, you pretty much covered it. That's yeah. all stuff that needed to be said.
3: The only thing that I would say to you is that I think it would be interesting for us to try to construct for you a set of new games to play that have come out recently, because I, I feel like while a lot of those roots, I mean, those roots are definitely palpable throughout the entirety of games. Right. But I I think that recently in the last like 5 years people have actually started to try to think about it and address it inside of the games that they make. I don't know to what extreme it to what extent this was like hyperbolic but you did mention you haven't played a video game since insert credit but I think it would be interesting to try to create a playlist of games that might at least speak slightly to some of.
6: I mean, I've I played indie games. I mean, there are a lot of interesting indie games out there where people are like they're actually trying to express like ideas that are meaningful to them through like what language that they can. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes those have interesting things to say. And not only that, but they don't demand that much from me as an audience. They don't demand that I spend all of this time, all this, all this portion of my life. In order to engage with their crap, and so they just ask a modest amount of my time in order to have like more a more honest conversation. And so I still don't play like a lot of video games. Still, I just like I got other stuff to do. But <laughs> there there are earnest conversations happening. I just I don't see it a lot still from like the mainstream. But oh, you're totally I guess- right. I guess that's not too surprising, but still.
0: Well, Azure, thank you very much for classing up the podcast <laughs> over here. We're going to move to our next segment. But before that, is there anything you'd like to say to our audience?
6: Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing anything interesting right now. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to figure myself out. You know, I think that for years and years I spent using media, using video games as sort of like a crutch to sort of like understand what was wrong. What was wrong with me? What was wrong with the world? What was wrong with like my relationship with the world, my relationship with myself, my relationship with other people? I just didn't really have the language, right? And I think that that tool isn't very useful for me anymore, but I'm applying like a lot of the same methodology that I was using to like figure out video games, figure out other kinds of art, all the stuff I learned way back in my like philosophy degree to just try to understand myself. And I think that's a lot more, Constructive for me right now uh i don't really have a lot to show for it aside from my being fantastic but uh, (laughs) that's enough if you think i'm wonderful you can follow me on twitter
0: i think that is enough thank you very much for giving us some of your time yeah thank you (laughs) yes absolutely tim thank you for joining us as well if you want to stick around you can stick around if you need to go we'll understand
7: I i don't really have anywhere to go right now all right
0: so you can stay for the last segment uh we'll be right back after one more break
7: one more break,
1: huh? I absolutely have to stop in 30 minutes. Okay. Is that gonna work? Um you can just leave in the
0: middle of Yeah, you Patrick. can leave in the middle, it's fine.
1: Okay. Sorry, I didn't know I was gonna go this long.
0: Welcome back to the 20th anniversary special of the insert credit show. I'm here with Frank Cifaldi, Brandon Sheffield, and Tim Rogers. And joining us for this next segment is a guest who straddles all the arrows of Insert Credit. He's been on guest on the show many times and probably will be many times more. Our Fighting Games correspondent, Patrick Miller.
5: Hello, everybody. It's, it's nice to be the the boundary crosser here a little bit.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you're the planeswalker, as it were. That, that's oh, a joke man. for our producer. Uh, Patrick, what can you tell us about your Insert Credit history and what you've done since you started contributing?
5: Oh, man. I was hoping we'd be able to cover this stuff. So I started reading insert credit. I want to say shortly after it launched. I forget how I found it, but it probably was one of those Penny Arcade links where Tim wrote something that pissed them off. And so they, you know, hate linked it or whatever.
7: Those darn
5: guys. But at that point, I was I was a senior in high school, and I had been writing about video games for a Macintosh gaming publication, like just like an online publication that was one of the bigger ones in that admittedly niche space uh, doing. Pretty standard, like by the book, like I mostly just imitated what I saw in Game Pro, right, because I grew up reading Game Pro, but I was also doing high school debate at the time, so I had a functional es- understanding of how to put together like a decent essay or a decent argument, and that was enough to get started writing about video games two or three years in. I had already been like essentially scammed into working for what I thought was going to be money, but ended up not really being money and oh, yeah. i was I, I was already kind of like deading on writing about video games. And then I read some of the early insert credit stuff in particular. I think it was, I want to say it was dreaming in an empty room was one of the things that got me in there. Um, I as just that. like a, I read this and I was like, I, I have maybe like 20% of an idea of what's going on here, especially cause I hadn't played any of the metal gear solid games, but the perspective and the, the lenses, the, the, the approach to writing about games just felt so different that I, it, it inspired me to kind of, uh, experiment with with writing outside of the kind of the typical like consumer press model uh, that I had got to kind of come up for for a couple of years in by that point so I continued reading insert credit I engaged in the forums a little bit not that much uh, until I saw nothing excess actually hop on and start talking fighting games I was like oh, oh I know this guy from- he's cool yeah yeah, and we actually we we had seen each other in the Shuriken forums because that was the other online community that I was kind of actively in, and so we 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 hadn't really engaged that much, but we both played CVS too, and so we recognized each other as like fellow actual people who know what the fuck is going on in fighting games as much as anyone does in insert credit forums. So the 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 writing like early on just kind of really influenced a lot of of my desire to stay in video games. Um, when I could have been doing other things and it just kind of, it it stuck with me for a long time. Like I read pretty much everything on there religiously. I, I, I still go back and try and reread stuff from the archives as much as possible, but I believe it was when him returned from Japan and was uh, set, settling down in, in NorCal for a little bit. And Brandon had set up a kind of, hey, everyone, let's let's hang out session uh, mm-hmm. at a vegetarian restaurant in Oakland, Chinatown. And I think that was the first time I'd actually gotten to meet most of y'all. Um, Golden Lotus. I th- yes, I, th- I think it was the Golden Lotus. Tim, I had met you in Japan prior to that. Oh, um, yeah. The- yeah, I, I remember that. I remember a night of going around uh, Yoshiwara and I remember going to see Salsa Gum Tape. And those two were actually, frankly, yeah, that
7: weird band. Yeah,
5: those two evenings were probably two of my high points at that during that that
7: stint in Tokyo. But well, let me tell you what a whole a whole 10 years of high points like that ruins you. So you're lucky you only had you're lucky you only had the two the two nights with me Uh, because I I could uh, the 10 years of it almost killed me. I literally two
5: nights with tim yeah. rogers uh yeah. 3650
7: of those was not was not <laughs> enough or was 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 not enough and too much it was bad uh
5: so when when you came back and, and Brandon had kind of floated the idea of I believe it was it was insert credit 2.0 or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I knew that I, I wanted to try to be a part of it in any way that I could. And at this point, I was working like an entry level staff editor job for a consumer tech magazine. And so I was like a little bit more. Uh, you know, one foot in the door than I was when I started reading insert. It was awesome to get a chance to work with and write alongside like folks who I looked up to and folks who, frankly, like I wouldn't be in this industry uh, if their work hadn't inspired me early on and kind of continued to inspire me. Right. So just as I was starting to get a, a handle on writing about video games, I see Tim and brandon especially the two of you just starting to to work on really cool projects right timid ziggurat and i i i still maintain that that's like probably my top three mobile games of all time
7: all i gotta say is look forward to truck heck uh nice that's all i'm saying No more about truck heck for today yeah be be, be forward looking to it please thank and, you
5: and brandon's work with uh the molly do game jam like that was the first time that i ever thought to myself like oh shit Making video games is actually like it, it was just significantly demystifying the process. Right. Um, and, and being able to think like, I mean, I guess to, to start out, I should say I got into writing about video games because I never thought I'd be able to make them. And without mm-hmm. insert credit and without the work that y'all did, I wouldn't have gone from writing about video games to now making video games. So I guess if, if I could sum that up, that's essentially like my relationship with insert credit is insert credit helped me get here
7: remember when I had just started making video ball and I had just secured some money yes uh, I, I was gonna ask I was I was gonna hire you full-time for a job that you know we can well we don't need to mention what the job it was it was a good <laughs> job it was gonna be a good job oh no I, I remember it this. was gonna it was gonna be a sort of job that was uh, uh helped me get this game appreciated in the competitive video gaming community and then you got a job at what riot and it's like oh okay never mind it's like it's like dude I remember you you tried to now. talk
5: me out of it very briefly you were like you know there's a bunch of these jobs out come yeah. it was
7: like, it was like 5 minutes of me being like you know you'll get a better job later probably if you don't take <laughs> them and then i was like ah, who cares i would do it i would i would have burned video ball for a job at uh, at riot i would have done it at that meanwhile, time
3: meanwhile i think i uh, i directly recommended you patrick miller to the ceo
0: nice.
5: of riot yeah uh, <laughs> uh
0: so
7: you are the one who kept This is apart.
0: what I say when,
5: when literally I would not be here if it wasn't for you.
7: <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't let me make the insert credit forums <laughs> or wouldn't let me uh, be successful. <laughs> <laughs> with the help of uh of patrick miller
0: brandon have you done anything but stand in tim's way
3: uh, no i'm i'm a i'm a dream killer i that's, that's my opinion. Oh, man
0: um all right we've got a i want limited...
1: to throw something in yeah. just in case uh it doesn't come up uh especially before i have to leave because it might have to cut out before we're done um, right that 2.0 period i have a lot of high regard for like the first you know few months of that i think that all four of us uh, I don't know how, how you all feel, but I, I feel like that was in a in a weird way a creative peak in my life when it came to like just writing stuff about games because I don't think any of us were out to prove anything, uh, yeah. nor were we answering to anyone. Um, oh yeah. And I I I think that you know I, I wrote like three things maybe, but and like they're they're dumb they're dumb things, but I'm still really proud of them. Princess Salad Kingdom?
5: What, 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 yeah, yeah I wrote a awesome. recipe. I love that one. <laughs>
1: right, right. And and like the, the PlayStation Stride thing. Like PlayStation 5's mm-hmm. Stride oh, hitting thing. I do Stride. Hitting yeah, I
5: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, very good.
7: Very like good post. This,
1: I I really enjoyed that that period i think it's 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 almost in a weird way a, a period worth studying in all of our careers if people are interested in us because mm-hmm. i think i think there was kind of an interesting energy there for a while that i, I wrote
7: that one dumb thing about uh social games uh yeah, yeah. Big mm-hmm. ridiculous yeah. yeah thing. that was great when, when i wrote that I, I was living in a nice apartment i didn't care about writing about video games it was it was fun for me right that's I was, all it was, I was for all like, of us Because I was sitting there with the conviction that I was about to be rich and I would never have to (laughs) write about video games ever again because I had these Stanford people, you know, blowing smoke in my face about how their company's going to get a billion dollars or whatever. And I I owned 3% of a whole lot of nothing is what I'm saying. So yeah, that period in time was all about just, uh, I think we all had other stuff to do.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, It
7: wasn't, uh, whereas the the 1.0 insert credit, I believe, uh, I don't know what I was thinking. When I wrote stuff for there,
3: I kind of want to get into something that I think has been consistent in in both major phases of insert credit, as well as to some extent now with the show. I feel like there was always this sense in the early days and then in the in the reboot that we were all uh, improving. I don't know how Tim feels about this, but we were all improving each other's craft, like writing as... As as not exactly one upping each other, but like when when Tim would write something, I would be like, well, now I now the next thing I write has to be better than the last thing I wrote. I
1: don't think of it as better. I think all of us were trying not to one up or be better, but to write something that that other person couldn't have written.
3: Yeah, yeah, something deeper mm-hmm. within yourself instead of. Uh, and I don't know that I ever fully achieved that, but um, I do feel like. And you know, when when Azure was was here, it would have been good to mention it then. But like. All of us would just cycle into like, OK, it's not better, but it's like now I got to dig deeper for this next one <laughs> mm. and pu- pull out something better, pull out something uh, greater from myself. Uh, yeah, that's I, I-, I
7: remember I just I wrote so many reviews at one point that Brandon said he wasn't going to post them because uh, it would look like <laughs> it would make everybody look bad or whatever. <laughs> like, it was like, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, it'll look like people already think this is your website. Uh, or something like that, that's when I started ActionButton.net. And the reviews were bad. They were not good reviews. They were like <laughs> trash can articles that I, I wrote because I was getting all these free PS2 games and just writing 1,000 word blurbs about my 5 hour experience with each of them or whatever. Right. I do
3: kind of regret I was so kind of sanctimonious about what insert credit was supposed to be in my view at that time. I feel like... You know, uh, I- yeah,
7: But to have fully uh, implemented my reviews you would have had to... Uh, it would have been a lot of work
3: for me. <laughs> it would have been like six
1: posts in a row from Tim that are reviews, yeah.
7: Yeah, you would have had to do some sort of modern day IGN kind of thing. You scroll down, you ever scroll down Polygon these days? It's like it's just like a million posts uh that are they're arranged algorithmically. You would have had to do some sort of prototypical version of that. You would have had to have like a a banner that's just like new reviews, click here, you know, and then you would have been the first step toward just making a new ign at that point
5: Seeing brandon to ever dial anything back and, and be less him or less opinionated about something i think like that just that doesn't sound like something that you'd stay interested in anyway like i think no. insert credits has succeeded as much as it has because there's been a lot of like creative conflict kind of at the central center of it for so long right
0: yeah it's a place where the edges aren't sanded down
5: Yeah, only unsanded edges.
0: place where you can get seriously bruised and possibly infected. Uh, So we touched on a lot of what I wanted to bring up in the topics, but how specifically has Insert Credit changed since we started doing the podcast? Like, how has that continued the conversation? Or is it an entirely different beast?
7: My idea for the podcast when I first uh, uh, devised it uh, was that it would just kind of feel like reading a bunch of blog posts, like watching the show would have the texture befitting a podcast associated with a blog just kind of a way to uh, bring back the feeling of like peak blog post insert credit when there were like five posts how many posts per week did you write at the peak of insert credit Brandon
3: so at, at the peak I was saying a minimum of four news stories per day I would do between mm-hmm. four yeah. and, eight. and then yeah and then I wanted to have w- at least one review and one feature per week Uh, ideally staggered every other every two weeks, there would be a new either review or feature and usually alternating. Um, That was, that was the ideal. And I believe we achieved it at some point, probably about a year's duration. We got, we, we did
0: that.
7: That'd be like 2005. Yeah. 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 So that, that was like the idea of the show was just make it feel like the, the, the feed they call it a feed now to, to feel like the blog feed felt. So answer credit just basically became, came to show we we had that 2.0 the the meeting where we we met at golden lotus and then we had another we were doing weekly dinners do you all remember this yeah i do at yeah lane we we're doing weekly dinners on thursday nights uh, at the lane splitter in oakland
3: and hey look here we are again thursdays
7: recording yeah, thursday. on thursdays look at that yeah must see tv jerry seinfeld etc and all his
1: friends we made a pizza called the insert credit um, that's right yeah it had vegetarian sausage
7: and black olives i believe is Lane wow. Splitter all, are they all defunct now? Do they all blow They're up? Done. Well, not all of them, but that one's gone.
3: That one's gone. Uh, it's now in one. Artichoke Basiles.
7: I want to let everyone know Artichoke Basiles is from the village in New York, Manhattan, and it is it's the bad, joke right? pizza. Yeah. It is the pizza that you laugh at tourists for eating. So the fact that they have invaded uh, Lane Splitter in Oakland feels like some variety of poetic justice, though not one that I am equipped to appreciate. Poetic injustice. So, yeah, it's because, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. There's good pizza in this city right here, New York. Uh, Not so much over there, but uh, that's what they say.
5: I was just going to say the podcast, if you don't get the in person insert credit experience, like hanging out with y'all, the podcast does a lot to humanize who everybody is when they're on there. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, you're talking about video games, but you're also talking about your life. And Insta Credit Crew is a very, very, uh, I'd say fast uh, and go with deep, like conversational vibe. Right. I'll have evolved a certain pace of speaking, a certain lexicon, a shared history and shared set of references that let you move very, very quickly. And when we see it in writing, it's one person going deep on a thought, right, or on a game or whatever. And in, in, in the podcast form, it's really interesting to see everyone kind of collide with each other. So it, it ends up, I, I think for me, actually, the, the podcast is a very different experience than hanging out in the forums ever was or reading the articles. And I think it adds a, a really neat dimension to it
7: all. think the best insert credit experience period was the the first couple of like e3s that we all went to e3 and we were all kind of holed up and writing dumb like really bizarre blog posts and uh, I I wrote those big dumb features and you know everybody else got into all of those press events and Mm -hmm. it was a pre-youtube the pre-youtube pre-twitch pre-social media e3s that we went to if there was any way to replicate that in a podcast of some sort, that would be cool.
3: We had the coolest, weirdest coverage of stuff, that's for sure. I was definitely uh, a bit of a beast during some of those because I was like, we got to get these posts up right now. Wally3 is going on. It was, uh, that was important to me. But it, it is like we'd get these huge traffic spikes, and that mattered to me back then. Why did it matter? I wasn't getting paid. I don't know.
1: Why did it That know, traffic did not convert into ad revenue. Did you
3: didn't even let do. there be ads on the
7: website, <laughs> no, right? I would you, not. You...
3: Uh, yeah. Talk about me being sanctimonious. I would not let there be ads on the website. Ridiculous.
7: You know, somebody actually asked me fairly recently how much I got paid when I was writing for insert credit, <laughs> uh, which made me made me feel really sad. Negative for that dollars, person. basically.
0: Uh, I yeah. want to ask one question while we have Frank because I know he has to leave soon. Uh, how did you all go from writing about games to developing and preserving games? Ooh.
3: Okay, Frank should go first because he's going to he, leave in one minute.
1: That's uh, it. Like twenty minutes. Um. Okay. I think no 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Um, for me, the, the preservation stuff was first and you know, it's, it's kind of a half truth, but it has become my narrative that all the other stuff was an excuse to hang around the places I need to be to do what I considered my actual job, which was preserving video game history. So, um, you know, when I started writing, it wasn't for Intercredit. It was for my own website. It was for uh, Lost Levels and and the and the thread I had before that. You know, it was a place for me to let loose at first. But then when I launched Lost Levels, it was like, no, I, this is a place to to talk about video game stuff that will not be talked about ever if someone doesn't step up and do it. In that case, it was uh, games that had never come out. Um, we were the first website to cover those specifically. Um, yeah, that's right, Lost Media Wiki. I had you beat. Like, nice. like a decade you know i i got into what you'd call video game journalism sort of from there because i enjoyed the writing i did a couple things for insert credit ended up um well and it's like back in those days you wrote for insert credit and then the magazines uh picked you up like that's not an exaggeration i don't think that's come up yet yeah. this show like that's actually for a good like two years insert credit was you know the pool that that video game media talent came from i kind of went from there but um you know was was in the journalism thing for a while and i don't know it's not that interesting i got out because there's no money in it (laughs) there's no future in it started working on games and got a rent controlled apartment and a wife in tech and therefore didn't really have to get paid my silly game dev salary anymore and started the nonprofit. so
7: that's where we are and now you make no money because it's a non-profit. That's not, not true. You're not you're not, not allowed true. to have money, right? They they don't let you have any. They don't let you have money. No, um, I'm going to let you. Breed,
1: this is an announcement on the forum 3 days on the on the show. 3 days ago I got my first uh paycheck after 5 years of free labor Woo!
7: at my company. So, I'm
1: Great. our new minimum minimum wage CEO. So, the best kind of CEO. Yeah, good work. That's
7: <laughs> that's you. good. It is that's really good. good. I'm
1: proud of that. Anyway, congratulations.
7: Frank. You leave him, That's it. No, Wait, I'm going to listen one... in,
1: but that's my that's my
7: answer. I'll, I'll give you one of these. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, that's also for Patrick Miller because he knows he knows what game that's from.
3: Oh,
1: here's another um, one for you.
3: That's a good one. So I guess for me, with this insert credit to game dev thing, the thing Frank said about you know you, you would write for insert credit and then magazines would offer you jobs, that was part of why I was so that's that's where my sanctimoniousness came in because. I started to become more and more aware of that and more like I really, really need to be discerning about who is allowed to put their words on this website. Uh, and I went a little too far with that, I think, but for me, I forget if I've told this story before, but I knew I needed to get a job after college because people Mm -hmm. need money. And, um, my girlfriend at the time in college was like, my parents need to know what you're going to do for a living. Um, Wait,
7: I meant to do something when you said girlfriend, can you start that sentence over again?
3: (laughs) Okay. Uh, my college girlfriend at the time, she nice. said that, <laughs> um, that uh, her parents needed to know what I was going to do for a living. Um, and, oh, yeah. you know, we were we I was already thinking about how we were going to break up. But still, <laughs> it made me it made me think about what am I going to do for a living? I hate movies. I got a film degree. Uh, I got a Japanese degree. There's nothing I can do with that that I'm interested in. I guess I'm already well,
7: clearly writing you about haven't seen my Tokimeki Memorial review. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> um, Twenty years, baby. A I good was one. like,
3: I'm already reading writing about video games. I guess I'll do that. And so I just applied for game jobs and everything that I could, every any kind of writing job, really, and some TV jobs too. But interestingly, when I was trying to go and get hired at like GameStop and GameSpy, places that I had been mercilessly. Making fun of for many oh, years. Yeah.
1: GameSpot, you did you did the wrong one. Oh, you I said did GameStop. Game yeah,
3: oh, yeah. Oh, I meant GameSpot. check uh,
7: GameStop.
3: <laughs> I said heck and shoot at the same time? And it came out Shrek. <laughs> that's a really Uh-oh. weird one. Don't check. say
7: that ever again. That's cursed. I don't like
3: that. Yeah, that's a bad one. Okay, don't do anyway, it, don't do it. They were all like, they would ask me two questions. One, can you dial it in for us? Because they they had all read insert credit. And two uh how's tim doing what's up with that guy (laughs) these were the questions that they would ask me and those are the same
0: uh... questions you still get
3: and yeah it's true uh it's true those are the same questions i still get um and the only place that hired me game developer magazine was the one that had not heard of insert credit previously and I, i had reported on gdc twice and GDC is like the parent company. And they looked at what I was talking about. And they're like, oh, you're really talking about the developers in this. Okay, I guess you can be hired.
7: Here's a guy cares about the developers, just like us.
3: Going back to the, the event that Frank talked about earlier, that game connection thing, where we went and talked to a bunch of developers and things. I saw these people with a game called Barnyard Blast. And I was like, I got a film degree. You should let me write a script. <laughs> oh, wait here's this barnyard they... blast. Barnyard, oh. barnyard That's
2: right. That's
3: exactly it. I figured barnyard blast was my key to success in the game industry, and I was right.
7: The end. uh Tim, do you have time to briefly address this? What happened with me? I mean, let's be—I'll be sort of brief. So when I was writing for insert credit, I got a couple people asking me to write for their magazines. I got Edge. You remember those guys? Edge wanted <laughs> me to write. Like I wrote some reviews for Edge and then uh, i said let me have a column i wanted to have a column and they said they would think about it and i gave them like 6 months to think about it and then and then uh, games tm which is such a horrible name for a video game magazine they were like the the yard sale edge they offered me a column and i took it everyone it, here's
1: written for Games tm right yeah all right yes and <laughs> I, I guess i guess i wrote a i wrote a column in there for years oh you had that weird like fake autograph at the end of yours a fake signature yeah yeah it was weird (laughs) tim rogers signing off from japan yeah yeah it was
7: i i i mean so i actually was uh i mean i got a whole two pages i had two pages in a print column for several years uh two pages in a column with two pages in a picture and my my name in a magazine for several years that's a big deal i don't know yeah but games tm was like the yard sale egm or edge sorry and uh, I guess uh, that alienated me from Edge, so I ended up losing uh, uh, connection with Edge uh, by taking that column. Probably shouldn't have done that. I wrote freelance anonymously for IGN for a while. Anybody know that? Oh, yeah, you wrote that 3 out of 10 God Hand review. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I, I didn't write that one, no. I wrote, I wrote some stuff for IGN for a while. Um, I just I, 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 I wired... Uh, me and Brandon both wrote stuff for Wired. I called Wired a oh, yeah. snack tray for people who don't eat. Is how I referred to. <laughs> I don't Wait, know I got to check means.
1: in on that one too. I wrote for I wrote for Baker once for Wired also, but I got the kill fee. Yeah, nice. no, that
7: that that kill fee. That Love sweet. that kill fee. Yeah, I wrote a couple. I I got like two one page articles. I got two I had two one pagers in Wired, uh, and then you know countless blurbs for which one earns a, a quick two hundred. I believe if you add up all the money I ever made writing about video games, well, let's just say prior to 2020, you know, okay, no, prior to 2017, it would it would fit, it would fit in an envelope, you know. Let's we'll put it that way. it would fit in a in an A10 security envelope. Though a lot of those people didn't uh, didn't pay and uh I saw my work on insertcredit.com, uh was getting me these offers of money and, you know, offer pitch us something. I saw that work as uh I mean, I don't know how else to put I saw it as, like, trolling disingenuous and beneath my real skill, whatever that is. I saw, and and I basically, when someone offered me a job or uh, to publish an article of mine on the basis of that stuff I'd published on Insert Credit, I, you know, through, you know, whatever fault of my own, I, I just felt insulted. Does that make sense? And sure. I I found every every avenue I could to make those people feel bad for having wanted me to write for them. And maybe that was, you know, mean-spirited. I'm sure it was. I just, uh, I was kind of a jerk to people who offered me money for a very long time because I saw writing about video games as just no way to make money. Not honest work. I wanted to do something else, you know? And I ended up working for Sony in some trash can job. Then I ended up not, you know, not really succeeding at making video games. And then I got a job at Kotaku.com. I guess I make uh, I make money now uh, for uh, some writing and talking about video games. I mean, you got to order those envelopes from Uline at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I, I resisted it, I guess, is what I'm saying. I used to have a, a couple of grumbles at stuff like Brandon would be like, Brandon not wanting to sell out. I was like, why doesn't he want to sell out? You might as well sell out. You might as well let somebody buy your website. You might as well put ads a burger king on there who cares right you might have, if you can turn it into money why is this guy not turning it into money is what i would think when you would say you don't want to turn it into money yeah. and then uh it's like oh i mean i obviously i didn't want to turn that website into money ultimately i guess i sort of did because uh these these godforsaken youtube videos that are killing me right now are uh they're basically just a i don't know the truest crystallized essence of what i was not letting myself try to actually do it. Insert credit. 2018, 19 years ago. You know. Yeah, I think so. in a
3: way we all did. We all kind of turned it into. We, we we took what we were doing at that time and we turned it into our livings in in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, um, except
7: With now, that
1: said, I'm um, Frank out.
7: Where are you going, Frank?
1: Frank out. Frank, Frank. sleeve. Here's
7: here's what's here's what's gonna happen to Frank when he gets where he's going. Listen. That's go. true. Frank's That's on his way saying. to the chiropractor. He <laughs> the scheduled his appointment. Right. <laughs> yeah. does that feel better or worse <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah hit me daddy okay yikes we got a couple more questions i hope uh the rest of you can hang around for those uh i gotta ask are
7: video game blogs dead i don't uh i don't know
3: yeah that's a tough question i feel like they're i feel like they're not dead on a small scale i feel like writing something for somebody else or for a small group of people Like, in a way, I feel like the insert credit forms, that's what video game blogs should basically be at this point. It should just be like someone writing a a long essay about a neighborhood in Spain and Vin Diesel's The Wheelman or whatever. Um, Like that game. That's just what it should be now. I think the concept of just here's the news is is not. While it's personally useful for me, and I would love to subscribe to a newsletter that said that, i don't think it's there's like, probably
7: a couple of them out there
3: it's it's not really feasible as a as a life plan
5: if i think about what insert credit was to me at kind of the moment where it met, meant the most like it was an experience and bl- the the blog format was the best tools that y'all had to communicate that experience right now you all yeah. have forms the forums that's doing a great job If I were to look for like if I if I'm thinking about this in terms of like what what fills that gap, it's discord, I think
0: yeah oh yeah
5: writing on the internet was the thing that made sense because uh you know we're still connecting with like dial-up modem some of the times bandwidth was was pretty expensive storage is pretty expensive writing on the internet was like the most economical format by which we could communicate with each other at a level like this right and now like if you want to have a joint gameplay experience you can just open up a discord with a bunch of your friends stream just to them like you know you can play some hot seat games you can do whatever you want and i think that like the, the kids these days, if they did their own insert credit it would just be a really cool discord that out, uh, eventually had some kind of like external output.
7: I mean, right? until Microsoft ruins it. I started a discord for my own YouTube channel, uh, which uh, I, uh, I i somewhat presciently, when I made it, decided to uh, give it a nickname. It has the name it's uh, discord.gg slash action button, but it has a colloquial nickname of the Goblin Bunker, which I think was good branding on my part. Because uh, now everybody, uh, it's it's the Goblin Bunker. It's not the Action Button Discord. It's the Goblin Bunker, and I look in there. I read it pretty much all day. Got it on my phone. You know, it's my new favorite thing to look at. And they're just uh, they just have a good time in there. Sometimes there's some really good stuff popping up and popping around. And it's become uh, it it feels like an old school video game blog in this 21st century to me. Though also. When I think of video game blogs, I think of like people writing a big post about stuff that yeah. like they like. They're like, well, here's a not even about um, you know news so much. It's Just like here's the top ten laser guns in Capcom games. Like I don't know something like that, right? Like like we we used to write little dumb listicles, or people mm-hmm. used to on blogs just for fun before it became you know Buzzfeedified or commodified. And in that extent, I think there's a. Uh, I mean, I know maybe I'm the only person here who pays attention to uh, YouTube channels. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube that just kind of really feels like old video game blogs. Dudes and girls on YouTube who are just doing, uh, you know, stuff that really just reminds me of the old days.
3: I feel like what Discord sort of lacks is the is that deep dive, um, really, really get into a subject and really get into the the subjective perspective of a specific person. And uh, I, I feel like that's less. It's it's not that it's impossible in Discord. It's just it's not what's most encouraged
5: yeah i think if if i look at like the way we were talking about the insert credit 2.0 period right where where folks were kind of like piggybacking off of each other's work or getting inspired getting motivated like that happened over the course of weeks and months because that was how long it would take us to write something and post it and then see the other person wrote in blah, blah 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 and in discord it's like these i see you know, depending on the discord you're in, how it's structured, who's in it, like you can have these kind of moments of like group, almost like processing or reasoning, but they're happening in real time via chat, via streaming, whatever, right? The output is very different, but a lot of the impact I think actually remains the same, right? Like you feel like you're around, you're connected to a community of people who kind of get you that you have this like shared, shared set of uh, understandings and, and, and reasonings and so forth.
0: All right. We got one more question. Uh, what do you think are the best things to come out of insert credit?
7: Us. Best. Ooh, <laughs> <aw>. <laughs> that one episode of the podcast we did that we had uh, one of those uh, McElroys on it. <laughs>
5: oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
7: I can't listen back to that one.
3: Tim, is is it true that Vince was never on the show? Do you not, do yeah, you not he remember was, him he being was on show?
7: He was never on the show, no. The never on the show.
3: I really thought he was. I'm. I'm, nope. I'm having this Berenstain Bears situation.
7: <laughs> I think you might have asked him, and he was. Uh, he was just too busy composing music for uh, 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 that game company game. Yeah. yeah, he's
0: busy doing award-winning
7: work. <laughs> and he's like, uh, I'm too busy uh, working on a game that's going to win some awards.
3: I'm too busy. My game is in the Smithsonian right now.
7: <laughs> yeah. Oh God. That was true. Which that uh, game company game was in the Smithsonian?
3: Uh, Flower was in there. Crikey.
7: Yeah. Pretty cool. I mean. All right. Honestly,
5: I think the answer to this question is something we kind of can't know because I swear to God, like I don't even remember when the last time it was that I hung out with Brandon in person. But I feel like if I were to see him at some godforsaken game industry event in 2040, there's probably still someone who would walk up to him and be like, "Yo, you're the guy who does who did insert credit, right? Like, oh my God, that was you know the shit to me when I was coming up or whatever, whatever, right? Like that that is that is almost Brandon's role in a lot of conversations that I've that seen. That guy is
0: a legend.
5: <laughs> insert credit just generated so many weird and wild inspirations and interactions that that like I don't I don't honestly think we understand the full extent of its effect on games at that per, at, at its kind of defined periods of time you know I really appreciate that so many
3: people who who come up and are like oh man insert credit I, I ask what they do and they're like ah, I just work on uncharted uh but what are you doing you know <laughs> like
7: yeah, it's so weird
3: yeah it's really weird. It's like these people who have completely surpassed me <laughs> in in like the game industry and in many other ways like they own houses, they're they're financially secure. They're still appreciative of something that we all started 20 years ago. And that's I guess I don't know, it it sounds like a jerky thing to say, I guess I I phrased this very strangely, but I'm really grateful to those people for caring it all uh and for like, taking the some of the ideas that we were thinking about back then forward. My hope is that anybody that has been touched by Insert Credit in any way has taken something positive from it and tries to make games better, discussion about games better, the game industry better, and tries to find the, the smaller voices in, in video games and make those voices louder. As long as they're the good ones, not not the bad ones. Right.
5: I will say at a at a very personal level, there's one thing that I learned from how I think this is especially just just seeing how Tim and Brandon conducted themselves around insert credit stuff. And it was always a willingness and indeed like a a, almost like a voracious appetite to understand where the weirdos are and what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Get them all over here. I don't know what I expected. Yeah. I, I don't know what I expected from you two, to be honest. But like the fact that that pretty much. Any random person could come up to y'all and be like, hey, I, I, I love what you're doing. And, you know, maybe it inspired me to do this thing. Or maybe I, I've got some some other things I think you'd be interested in. Right. But that opened this it opened up this really easy conversation around taste, around connecting to the medium in different ways. Um, and I never saw y'all gatekeeping based on like clout. Right. or Or perceived access to industry or whatever. Right. It could be any random jerk. If that, that random jerk had your email address, you'd probably at least read the email. And if they weren't like deliberately offensive, then maybe you'd respond to them. And that is not something that I take for granted. It was something that I, I learned from y'all at I think a really important point, right? Um, because it's really easy as you get deeper in the industry or as you start to get more established in your skill set to just kind of write off anyone who hasn't made it past certain gates, right? And just in the interest of time and focus. Um, but the fact that, both of y'all were always super open to just talk with any random person who happened to like your stuff. or Actually, even if they hated your stuff, you'd probably still talk to them because at least they had that opinion, right? Um, that, oh, was yeah. a certain, that was a certain kind of just, I don't know, graciousness that I always looked to emulate myself.
0: So I don't have a lightning round this week since we're coming up on three hours, but oh, I no, would I'm like you all around. to fill out this prompt very quickly. Finish this sentence. Insert credit is the blank of video games.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh City grandpa no that's not right uh the grandpa just came back from no grandpa who never quite came back from the war of video games.
7: <laughs> when I uh, first started writing things for Kotaku I got commenters uh, when I started working for Kotaku it, it, it increased uh I got people saying that I was like the uncle of Kotaku and I hated that but maybe that's what insert credit was maybe it's like the uh, the uncle Of video games. Uncle video games. Because uh, there's you know, the, uh, not, not really the cool uncle, but the, the uncle that your mom and dad don't like. (laughs) (laughs) They don't like him, but he's actually, uh, he knows some stuff. He's okay yeah
5: I'll, I'll keep this on brand insert credit is the last blade 2 of video games nice oh, oh nice good, game. Yeah, that's good
7: but of video games like it's not i can't say it of video games because the thing i'm referencing is a video game i remember when i was writing blog posts on insert credit every time i wrote a blog post not a feature or a review brandon had a problem with my blog post <laughs> and uh, for example every time anything ever happened involving the video game development studio responsible for the games Ghost in the Shell standalone complex for PlayStation 2 <laughs> uh, or a uh, Dragon Dragoon. Yeah. I wrote uh, I updated The People of the World with an ongoing blog post series that was called Everybody Loves Cavia and episode 6, episode 8, whatever, <laughs> just as every time anything that happened happened with Cavia, I posted about how every I, my blog post was called Everybody Loves Cavia and uh, Brandon said I don't love Cavia once. So you shouldn't call it Everybody Loves caveat. He took issue with the name of my my ongoing series. Also, now, Brandon was wrong. He loves caviar. Now everyone loves caviar. Yeah. So, insert credit is the caveat, uh of video games. I think which that's is right. He not... proves me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You said I don't love caviar.
3: Yeah. Well, I didn't. <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, because let's face it, they only had Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, uh, yeah, and drag on dragoon. At that point, they, 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 this was like right. I believe I was updating the people by the, up to the minute on on the status of Bullet Witch prior to its release. I was uh, I was keeping the people. I wrote several blog posts about Bullet Witch. They're in the archives. Take a look for them, everybody. Do we have? Are there archives? No. Yeah, on, on the <laughs> no. We're, <laughs> like, you're oh, we're gonna work. have to <laughs> use the Wayback Machine for that. We're as gonna use I the Wayback did. Machine. You you will find me hyping the people about Bullet Witch mm-hmm. <laughs> six months before it came
0: out patrick thank you very much for joining us on this uh final leg of our tour through the insert credit history
3: 20 years god darn yeah i'm sure we'll have you yeah, on again a pleasure
0: tim obviously yeah. always a pleasure it was a surprise to see you jump in anytime oh, yeah. you want to do that you're always welcome on the show otherwise we'll, anytime, we'll see you in uh, another 20 years yeah i don't know about 20
7: <laughs> years you know <laughs> yeah. insert credit 2.0 you remember that that was in the celebration of the 10th year do you remember? Yeah, that? It was.
3: Yeah. at least we're keeping it we're keeping it going
7: the 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 recommendation i had at the 10th anniversary was that you should start a youtube channel and start putting videos up and nobody liked the idea of that so maybe we went ahead and did it yourself. what we can do start a start a youtube channel that's yeah, for it. the 30th anniversary yeah maybe is that.
0: this insert credit 3.0 the relaunch of the website no i don't know i'm not don't, sure don't, don't give it a number
7: don't put a number on it yeah right. i
3: think i think it's just a it's insert credit as a service games as a <laughs> okay. service you
7: know like it's insert credit i see it's the xbox gas?
3: one of insert credit. yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's free to play insert credit blue boxes.
0: <laughs> great this was a fantastic treat i've i, I consider it a real pleasure uh, and a privilege to be a part of the legacy of this whole thing and i guess this is the point where we sign off does anybody have any recommendations or plugs
7: well, i'm looking at steam right now and there's an xbox publisher sale and i'm realizing that they released uh they released that new battle game so my recommendation I is just, just don't, that don't look at it <laughs> don't, yeah. don't don't look
3: <laughs> it feels a little weird to recommend something on the 30th anniversary episode so I, the 30th I, anniversary I episode I mean the 20th i'm getting it. I'm, yeah, I was ready thing. for a youtube channel um, let me tell
7: you same thing
3: <laughs> yeah uh so i won't recommend any anything specific aside from i don't know join the forums recommend the show to your friends come hang out with us if if hanging out with us on this show is uh in any way
5: nice for you i'm glad patrick yeah honestly i think that's the right note to end it on yeah
0: i think so too i usually have a spiel of recommendations i do but instead i'm just gonna say yeah go to forums.insertcredit.com uh, join us on patreon.com insertcredit insert credit where you can get episodes a day early Monday. or submit your own questions or even access to regular bonus episodes and other exclusive content you can follow us on twitter for more updates the show is at insert credit i'm at alex jaffe frank is at frank safaldi brandon is at necrosofty Patrick is at Pat the Flip and Tim is at one zero eight. This show yeah. is produced by Esper Quinn with music by Kirk Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Shaffe. I'm
1: Frank Zabaldi. I'm
0: Brandon <laughs> Sheffield. <laughs> I'm Tim Rogers. I'm Patrick Miller. And now you're playing with podcasts.
1: In the car, it's the future. I listen the whole time. Okay. Uh,
3: That's I, fantastic. I saw you come back. I was like, is he in the car? He was in the car.
1: I'm talking to you through my car's
7: microphone. It's
3: amazing. <laughs> I could just do a podcast while driving. You sound like you're on the phone.
7: Yeah, you really yeah, do great. sound like you're yeah. calling in. It's neat.
3: If this were a movie, this that would be the sound that they would yeah. make you have if you were calling on the phone.
1: All right, I better go. See you Bye. Okay, bye.
3: Bye. That was the show. We did it. What a curiousness. Wow, that was long.